everybody. This is Shane Douglas Keene, and I'm here tonight with my co-host Laurel Hightower and Rich Duncan and a very special guest host, Tracy Robinson. Um, they know everybody else. Say hello, Tracy. Hello. That's Tracy's voice. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, the guy we're here with tonight is... Uh, Man, one of the most special guests we've had in my estimation. I can't think of many that I hold higher. Um, he's won like every single war award in the industry like six million times or something like that. Got like 15 novels out and a whole bunch of other stuff I won't even begin to try to run down. We'll have him run some of that down. And he's also got... Uh, Two new books coming out here in the coming months, The Only Good Indians and Night of the Mannequins. I hope I didn't massacre that title, but uh, Stephen Graham Jones, welcome. Man, thank you all for having me. We are very happy to have you here. Uh, would you like to uh, get, add anything to that? Anything you want to say that actually was is information and not just babble? Um, let me think. Anything? I don't think you missed anything, man. Um, no, that's it. That's all I can think of. Okay, and I obviously didn't massacre the title, or you would have corrected no. me. No. So you're you're also a teacher, right? I am. Um, I'm a professor at CU Boulder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a couple others, or you used to be, I thought, but. You know, I did. I, I used to teach at IEI, the Institute of American Indian Arts, and I guess I, maybe I will pick up a course or two there someday in the future. Um, I think I'm still listed as affiliate faculty or something like that. And I do um, teach one quarter out of four quarters for um, UCR Palm Desert, the low-res program. I do that in ah. the summer. Right on, man. Good works. Good works. Okay. Um, and the professorship, that's fairly new, isn't it? You know, now I've been, I mean, I started out in 99 or 2000, right around there as a, um, a visiting, oh, 99, I was a visiting professor at Texas Tech University. I did that for a year. Then they hired me on to be an assistant professor. I did that till 03, at which time I became an associate professor and then came up to Colorado in 08 and they made me a full professor. And then in 2017, they made me a endowed chair and then just this year, I became a professor of distinction. So that's that proud. is okay. That's what I'm remembering is when you announced that professor of distinction. Uh, yeah. Congratulations on that. Well earned. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, anyway, let's talk some books, guys. Let's do it. Who wants to kick it? Um, I'll start by fangirling, if that's okay. Um. I, uh, so we all just, I think, and Tracy, you said too, you had read The Only Good Indians. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I think we've, we've kind of discussed among ourselves and we're just kind of, this is just really, really excellent. So I'm, I'm super excited about this book coming out. Um, and so do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the lead up to that and how, um, you know, how you're promoting that and, and anything you want to say about that? Um, promoting it, you know, with this um, COVID-19 stuff, it's going to be a mostly like virtual book tour, as I understand. Um, you know, I remember back, shoot, it's probably been 15 years. I remember Jay McInerney had a book coming out and the big news in all the industry trades was that he was doing a, a blog tour or a podcast tour or something. And everybody's like, this is crazy. Jay McInerney's crazy. But um, now that's what we're all doing. We're just all jumping from, you know, Zoom session to 
Crowdcast, all this stuff. And it's turned out to be really productive or really cool. Anyways, it's, it's the result of it is that it's pairing up a lot of writers whom it's usually hard to schedule together, you know? And, um, my publicist hit me up the other day and she, she was asking, do I mind if she schedules me like back to back for a whole afternoon? And that's cool with me. Anything to get the book into people's hands and heads and hearts. I'm good with, you know? Oh, absolutely. And that's, and you're right. That's such a cool thing that people are doing. Like I got, I got involved in the Corona con and it was really, it was awesome because you had all these authors together that otherwise could not have been together. Um, and yeah. And, uh, Anything we can do as far that, as that virtual tour goes, we'll be happy to jump in on that. Any, thank anyway. you very much. Yep. Well, I think I think right now y'all are going to be the first um, podcast discussion I've had about the Only Good Indians and Night of the Mannequins. Both I've done I've done recorded interviews that will be turned into print interviews, but this is my first actual podcast. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's cool to us too, and an honor. Um, so I'll jump in real quick. Um, you, just back to the when we were talking about um, being a professor. Yeah. I, I teach at a at a local college as well. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did you deal with like going online and finishing the semester plus all of the stuff that you're doing with the book? Did it take some adjustment or were you, was it pretty easy for you? No, it definitely took some adjustment. Um, but luckily, I've been teaching like I remember in 94 when that was my very first year to teach I was in grad school and um I was one of six instructors or teaching assistants chosen to teach in what we called the computer classroom which was just a bunch of computers in a room you know it wasn't very sophisticated but um ever since then I've been using technology in my classrooms and and in 99, I was really into computer programming, and a friend and I wrote a learning management system, which actually had nearly all the functionality that Canvas has now, you know, and I ran my classes through that for a while, and um, he wrote most of it. I'm not going to pretend like I was as good as he was, but, and the lowest program I teach at with UCR Palm Desert is also eight weeks online and then two, then 10 days of residency, so the transition from you know, the paper and chalk classroom to Zoom or learning management system or whatever it is was not that difficult for me. However, as I'm I'm sure you're finding out, um, teaching online takes up so much more time than teaching in the classroom. You know, teaching in the classroom, it'll take an hour and 15 minutes and you're done. You you go sit in your office and write a book or something. But um, teaching online will eat up every hour of the day. You let it eat up. Definitely, definitely. So, and I found that too. You know, I had less time for things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you teach any summer classes, or are you trying to like do summer classes plus promote the Only Good Indians? Or you know, this I am doing that class with UCR Palm Desert right now, and I mean, I but I've been doing that for shoot eight or ten years now, so it's just part of my life. You know, it's it doesn't even. I mean, it's it's work for sure, but it doesn't feel like extra. Nothing, it's nothing that drag, drags me down or anything, and. It, that'll go over here second week of June, and Good Indians comes out second week of July, so it won't get in the way at all. Oh, that's awesome. Um, what about Night of the Mannequins? That's slated for September 1st, and okay. by that time, I'll be deep into the fall semester here in Boulder at CU, and we're doing, you know, as most universities are, we're doing it, the intention right now is to do it kind of hybrid, you know, but the real kind of 
that's kind of code for ready to fall back to completely online or remote if we need to, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, let me, can I, I want to just sidetrack a little tiny bit here um, and then I'll go, we'll get right back on track. Uh, you you posted something earlier that I watched, and then we talked some about it. Um, when you uh, the, I when you did that, you helped that uh, sidewinder across that highway or <laughs> escorted him, as it should I say. And I just wanted to say that's the kind of thing that good people do. Oh, and <laughs> I'm not the only person who thought that, though. Rich knows somebody else who also thought that was a really good thing. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I was I was just scrolling through Twitter and I happened to see it and I have a I have a young daughter. She's about like three and a half and she saw the snake and she was like really interested and she was like, Oh, what you know, what what's he doing? And I was like, Oh, he's he's helping the snake cross the street and then she yeah. was like, He's helping him cross the street on his tricycle because that's the only kind of, <laughs> that's the only kind of bike she can ride. And like it just cracked me up because I was like I couldn't imagine you like riding a tricycle. <laughs> oh man! If I if I'm on a trike, it's gonna be a Harley. Man. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> if I'm on a trike, it's not one that's gonna embarrass me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. Uh, but uh, oh, go ahead, Laurel. I was just going to say, you know, speaking of the Zoom calls, I actually I read your blog post about the Zoom call tips. And that's oh, yeah. <laughs> those are all the tips that had not occurred to me. And I'm really grateful for that because like like the phone, you know, dimming the light yeah. on your phone. I'm like, oh, man, all of my colleagues have known that I have not <laughs> been paying attention. So. Yeah. yeah, that's very useful. I appreciate it. Well, well, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad it could help. Uh, so, yeah, Stephen, um. Kind uh, the only good Indians. Um, I yeah. really, I really love this book. And um, one thing I was kind of curious about was um, sort of the genesis. I guess a little bit about like what the story was about, kind of how that came to you. But also something that I really enjoyed about it. And I don't know if my other co-hosts really thought about it this way too. Is um, kind of like the structure of it. Like I liked how it has you know, like a cohesive narrative, but the way that I kind of read it, particularly the like early portions of the book was almost like, I mean, they're not quite as long as that, but almost like these self-contained like novellas that had like mm -hmm. a common thread throughout. Mm -hmm. um, Cause you see each one of these um, guys that were kind of, you know, involved in, you know, the incident that kickstarts mm -hmm. everything off. So I liked seeing like, one character's kind of you know story with that and then how it follows through and i was wondering if that was a kind of a structure that you wanted to follow throughout the course of the novel when you decided to write it or did it just kind of happen organically or just kind of how you came about kind of that structure for it you know um all of my if i looked into any kind of structure in any of my novels it's always just happenstance i, I do just stumble into it um but yeah, this novel owes a lot in its structure to a novel I did back in '06, Demon, Th Demon Theory. Demon Theory comes out of it's in three parts, and the first part of it is a slasher. The second part is a monster story, and the third part is a haunted house. And um, for some reason, the idea of 
like running different horror genres back to back to tell a complete story has really appealed to me a lot. So I've done it there and I've, now I've done it in Only Good Indians. And like to me, the, the first part of Only Good Indians is pretty much a haunted house story. And I only planned on this being 100 pages long or so. But then I got to the very end of it and I realized that I could do one of two different lines for the last line of that first part. And one line closed it off and made it a novella. The other line, op- the other line opened it up into two more parts. And so I called my agent and I said, what do you mean to do? Do you mean to do a novel or a novella? And she said, do, no- do a novel. And so I turned it into a novel. And, but um, if I have any like, guide for it, it would probably be, you know, back, back in the mid-90s, I guess, I kind of fell in love with Gertrude Stein's um, I don't know what you'd call it. A, it's a book, but I don't, know if, I don't know if I'd call it a collection or a novel. It's called Three Lives, and it's it's a story that's also in that triple kind of structure. And it's just about these three three girls, these three women, and it really appealed to me a lot. And I think that's probably the thing that um, initially got me attracted to that kind of structure. It's not really an Act One, Act Two, Act Three, although you can probably yeah. you can probably jam it into that if you want to, but. Um, I don't know. Something about the three, the the three, three different horror genres just really appeals to me. Yeah, that's fascinating to me too. And I agree, Rich, um, about the structure because it's I, I'm not somebody who really tends to try and guess the end of things. Mm-hmm. I like to. I'm, I'm not good at mm-hmm. it anyway. But, <laughs> but I, I was uh, <laughs> I was just really like at the and I you know absolutely no spoilers of course, but I, yeah. just everything that happened, I kept being like oh. Oh, oh, wow. Just because just the way that everything just was so um, just really skillfully uh, threaded together, I guess is how I would say it. So, yeah, I I agree, Rich, on that. So that's um, I'm always curious about, um, I guess, process on that. So I know. Do you tend to do the same thing every time or do you do you tend to just kind of come at it a different way? You know, all the novels that I think um, or that. I don't know, that kind of have resonance for me anyways, are novels where I just have a first line and then I think what comes next and that first line turns into another line and then it kind of, the snowball just grows and grows. I just am on top of that snowball trying to steer it, you know, away from hurting anybody or hurting me. And the problem is when you, when you're riding a snowball like that, it often crumbles under you and falls apart and you're left with nothing. You know, if I think people who plan their novels probably don't have that happen as often, but I've tried planning novels out and that hardly ever works for me. I'm just, it, I mean, really, I think um, people always try to split writers into two camps, right? That we're either yeah. gardeners or architects or pantsers or world builders, however they're going to frame it. And I think really we're all world builders. I think we just build the worlds in different ways. I, I build it by doing like successive drafts from scratch. And by the third or fourth draft, I know all the byways and alleyways and hidden doors of this world. Whereas someone who plans it all out, they know it going into the first draft, but we get to the same place. I don't know if it really matters. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I kind of like the way people learn. Everybody learns differently. So you can see why the same process would be approached differently too. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that, you know, I'm in agreement with you guys. And I think, one of the reasons why I love the structure of it so well is that it helped it stick, you know, in my thoughts. I read this in November or December, 
and I can still tell you everything that happened. Like, I know, yeah, I mean, there might be, like, a few things, but the basic structure of it is there, which helps me to remember it. And the fact that it doesn't feel fake, that your organic take on, like, just going with it um, makes it more real to us. So, you know, I'm in agreement with with us. So if you read it back then, that was the New York City Comic Con version, probably, Uh, yeah, I, I, I apologize. It probably had a lot of typos. That was a really rough version. <laughs> no, I have the I have the uh, the hard copy pre-ordered, so I'll get the yeah. I'll yeah. probably have to take a look at it again. So yeah, all right. Yeah, I do too. And I have I feel like since I've read it, I've been seeing those elk antlers on the cover like everywhere. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, and and feeling them too. Because <laughs> yeah. on the, on the hard copy, they they have a texture. Yeah. They do, and the, the the actual final copy that comes out in July is going to have even more texture, as I understand. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I was surprised they even bothered to put that kind of scratch into an arc, but I'm glad they did because it's a yeah. great experience. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But uh, speaking of, um, I've read a lot of your stuff over the years, man. You know that, and you wrote you wrote what I think is the best werewolf novel anybody ever wrote you know that too because i i talk about that till i'm blue in the face um you like to punch people in the gut though that's one of your favorite things huh (laughs) yeah yeah for sure yeah i love to like i love to i love to put a mask on and hide around the corner and scare my dogs you know (laughs) (laughs) and the only good indians actually exposes you as that type of there's there's some really really vivid imagery um and some of that imagery is just raw brutality you know Uh i won't go into into detail because this doesn't come out into july and yeah i don't want to spoil anything but Yeah. yeah it's fascinating to me how much some authors can still disturb me you know i think that always, I always think that um, as a horror writer, that's the horror writer's job is to go just a, one or two steps further into the darkness than the reader could possibly maybe go themselves. Um, and that to me is why the reader will pay like a dollar or two or whatever for this product. It's so that they can be led by the hand deep into the darkness. And so, yeah, horror writers were compelled to, to forge into that, even though it's not always the most, most healthy place to be, I don't think. No, I, my experiences recently say that it's sometimes not psychologically real yeah. safe. Yeah. 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 I noticed, um, I read something in the acknowledgments, too. I think it was the only good Indians where you mentioned um, that you had workshopped some of this with some of your students. Was that right? Yeah, or was that a, I did. that's, I did. that is really just an interesting, so how does, how does that work for, for them and for you? Um, you know, I think this, I think I workshop part of this with my UCR Palm Desert um, workshop, and I just, if I can find space, if we have an extra hour or two, then I'll get them copies of, um, I mean, I won't burden them with a whole novel, but I'll give them 25 pages or something, and just get their feedback on it, because I'm working with really smart, capable people, and the things they say make the make it better, you know? So I think I would be um, foolish not to utilize them if they're willing i always feel like i'm cheating because they're paying for the class and i'm getting paid for the class but you know what yeah. by doing that very thing they're getting 
paid even more for that class than what they would have been getting. Maybe. Or they also get revenge because I make all kinds of marks on their papers, their stories. (laughs) 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 You set yourself up there, man. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, it make, it makes me have to be like even better than I am because I have to not do any of the mistakes that I've called them out for, you know. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. true. Do what I say and what I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I have a quick question. I I yeah. listened to um oh tour Nightfires come join us by the fire yeah. audio yeah. anthology. So Midnight Caller, um, mm-hmm. I loved it. And it's so unique. Yeah, it's so unique in in the premise. And I I mentioned it to the other guys before you joined the call, but I don't want to mention it here in case it's a spoiler. (laughs) Sorry, guys. Um, But uh, did it appear anywhere else before it was on Tour Night Fires? Nope. Nope. That's the first place it showed up. That is, it's amazing. Um, Yeah, I really, how did, did you just want to try? I got very like Friday the Thirteenth vibes from it. I know you love slashers, so I was just wondering: were you trying? Were you trying to make it like that, or where did that come yeah. from? Yeah, oh yeah, I was trying to like you know nod to all my influences, of course, and also do something that felt a little bit new. And it had to be for audio format, so no dialogue tags or nothing. It could all—it was just all between the quotation marks for me, you know. Yeah, and I love doing—I love doing stories like that. I've got—I oh mean, I've probably got thirty or forty stories that are all dialogue. And maybe 10% of them have been published because most of them are junk. But um, I'm just, uh, you know, one of the stories I love the most in the world is Terry Bissons. They're made out of meat, which is all dialogue. And I'm always trying to do something that good. And I'm still waiting for, you know, lightning strike. Uh, you do all right, though, man. Don't, don't sell yourself too <laughs> short. Um, another guy who did that recently that it fascinated me was uh, Max Booth, wrote almost an entire yeah. novel and dialogue. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, and did a, and I thought, no, this is gonna totally flop on its face, but it didn't, you know. So nice. that that's a good job. Um, but is that uh, the werewolf one, Shane? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Carnivorous lunar activities. Yeah, that's it's a it's a line from American Werewolf in London. It's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um. And then I lost my thought where I was going with that because I got so interested in that topic. <laughs> Enough about Max. We talk about that fucker all the time. Let's talk. About <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing that I uh, that I thought was interesting um, was kind of like, and I I hope this doesn't give too much away. I don't think it does, but kind of like how you write about basketball in this story. Mm-hmm. Um. Like, I I was just wondering, you know, like, because there's, like, a pretty heavy component about it, so it feels like it's something uh, personal to you. And I was just yeah. wondering, you know, what kind of made you want to put that thread in there? Because, like, um, without saying too much about it, there's a particularly, like, lengthy scene involving basketball that plays a major part. And I thought that was, I thought that was brilliant. Like, I read a lot of, like, nonfiction sports stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would stack that up there with, you know, some of the best, you know, sports writing I've read. Wow, thank you. That's that's quite an honor. Um, you know, I tried to do this once before in Leadfeather. I wanted to. I wrote my novel. This came out in what of seven, I guess. And my novel Leadfeather, I wanted everything to hinge on a basketball game at the very end of the novel. And so, 
I, you know, structured everything and built it such that it all ends with this one guy rising up off the baseline to take a jumper. And what happened in that novel was I got to the end of it. He rose up, made that shot, and it didn't work. It was just boring, you know. So, so I put everybody back. I put everybody back in the car, and I was driving them back to to where they live. And then the end of the story like stood up from the ditch and made it was like one of my luckiest endings. And so that that novel worked out. But it was intended to be a basketball novel, and it didn't turn out to be a basketball novel. I'd also, I'd also tried it in my novel, The Bird is Gone. I have a chapter that was intended to be all two basketball commentators or people who announced the games announcing a game, and they were going to kind of have some friction back and forth. But I found out that I'm not an announcer. I, I can't make it exciting as through a microphone <laughs> like that. And But the, the, you know, the reason for all this basketball is – Growing up, well, I guess number one, in seventh grade, we had basketball tryouts in my school, and and you know I tried my hardest and I I didn't make the team, and I remember, and I went to the other end of the gym, and all the rest of the team, people who made it stayed on one end of the gym, and the people who got cut went to the other end of the gym, and I remember being down there just shooting and shooting and trying not to cry but crying anyways because my heart wanted to be on the the winning not the winning team but the team you know and. After that, I made all the teams and played all through high school and did pretty good and all. And then I never, I never tried to go to. A, I, I, I couldn't have played college ball. I probably could have played junior college ball. Maybe I'm not really tall enough, you know, for college ball. Um, but I, I kept playing hard up until my 30s, I guess. Just every every pickup game I could find, every little league, because basketball is what I love. You know, it's just it's. I, one of my very very favorite things but then oh this is probably about 06 somewhere around there maybe it's 07 even um i blew up my knee my meniscus and my acl and something else had to have micro fracture surgery and it was a long recovery and then i got better from that and about 2009 or 10 i ruptured my achilles and then three days after i finally went from wheelchair to walker to crutches to cane I ruptured it again, you know, when the, the doctor said, go do what you want. And I did what I wanted and it was broke again. So I had to go through all that rehab once more. And finally, the decision I made was I was losing too much riding time, recovering from surgeries. And so I had to choose between riding or basketball. And I chose riding because basketball was just going to land me at the hospital over and over. Um, I'm not good at growing old with basketball. I think it's because I always play with the 22 year olds instead of the 48 year olds. You know, <laughs> and there's a kind of a rate of attrition as you get older with that particular yes. sport. Anyway, it, it writing is, is going to be much more physically uh, well behaved. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think so. I think so. And um, the bad thing is, like when I was 19, I could jump out of the gym. You know, I had wonderful reflexes and I could, my lungs were forever but I didn't have a brain, you know, and now I kind of have a mind that I can kind of understand the court a little bit, but now I can't jump no more. <laughs> you know, it seems like basically unfair, but so, so, so after I quit, quit playing basketball, I found that basketball started making its way into my fiction, you know, and, and you know, the only good Indians is the culmination of that. I, I, I kind of doubt if I do another basketball story, but um, so hopefully I got it right this time. You know? Oh Yeah. <laughs> No yeah, question. I think he nailed it. Uh, anybody listening, he got it right. He he got every <laughs> single fucking detail right with this thing. Yeah, so. yeah, especially like I said, that one uh, 
you know, long scene of it without getting too much into it. Like it was even without kind of like, you know, the implications of it, just the way you kind of wrote about it. Like you could tell that it was like personal to you that you had that love of basketball. And it, it was, it was very, very tense. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That's, that's what I wanted, of course. And, you know, when you, you've got a novel coming out, you try not to like um, put too much expectations on it or anything. But um, yeah. my my secret my secret desire for this is always that Reggie Miller will be on ESPN doing his commentary or whatever, and somebody will hand him a copy of Good Indians with it marked in there, so he can open it up and read read about himself and also about his sister Cheryl Cheryl Miller. You know, I think that'd be so cool. Oh, that would be cool. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's uh, I've I've kind of noticed that I mean like that you know you said this was your only like basketball novel but mm-hmm. that is like mm-hmm. something that I've noticed I, I think all the beautiful sinners there was a pretty good uh, yeah. line yes. I mean not line but kind of a like a storyline that ran through that to an extent and yeah I forgot about that yeah yeah I always I'll, always forget about beautiful sinners yeah no don't forget about that one that one's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm well, that, glad that, that Laurel brought that up because one of the things that I like quickly scribbled down was that, you know, mongrels, all the beautiful centers, the only good Indians there. I mean, there are so many different threads that run through all of them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't pick up on that one that Laurel mentioned until just now. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting to find these little bits and pieces that come through all of the different works that you have. Is there anything else that you can think of besides those three that might have the sports thing or the discussion of the other or, or anything like that. I know. Well, you know, you know well, yeah. Um, good Indians has, it kind of is in the same world as mapping the interior. There's a little story event that carries across and also it's in the same world as um, Leadfelder too. Some names, some names kind of cross the divide. And there's also um, the night rider, right? Is that the night cyclist? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Let's, yeah, let's say not... yes. Let's say yes, man. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think so. That's yeah, uh, yeah. also a tour production right there. So, uh, yeah. they they like you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm lucky because I when I when I was coming up, my the first short fiction I was ever reading regularly was um, Omni's science fiction, which always kind of had a horror tinge, right? Often had a horror tinge. Anyways, it was Ellen Detlow running the science fiction back then. Which is, which is to say, my taste, like, I kind of cut my teeth on omnifiction, and that informed the writer I would become. And so, to me, it's so cool to get to then work with Ellen Detlow all the time on stories and novellas and stuff. It's it's really a wonderful, like, closing of a circle or something for me. This is our awkward silence. <laughs> we have one every show. Um, so thank you for observing that with us. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, no, it kind of, um, Stephen, because you, you have like so many works, and I always like to kind of ask writers about this. Like um, you've written novels, novellas, short stories, you know, pretty much everything. Um, you know, is it, do you have a preference for, you know, like, what kind of length you like to write and um you know do you do you kind of take like the same approach no matter what you're writing or do you kind of take different approaches depending on whether you know you know that idea is going to be a short story or you know that idea is going to be a novel 
You know, that's, I never have had that asked that way. I think I take the same approach for both flash fiction and novels that I just jump in and see if the water's wet and if I can swim in it, you know, and I try to find some sort of yeah. semblance of a shore. But short stories, I do do those a little differently nowadays. I used to write them the same, but nowadays almost all the short stories I write are solicited. So an editor will call me and say this many words about this and, you know, make it fit this theme. And so I do kind of ahead of time know what I'm going to do. I mean, know what I'm going to do, large, like broad stroke, you know? So that, that does feel a little yeah. bit different. So um, speaking of that, what Rich said about all the different things you do as a writer, um, you got some other stuff you do too, I know. I know you've done a few one-off comics or graphic novels. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you got something, I don't know if you can talk about this, so I won't even say it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I yeah. talked to you on Twitter briefly yeah. earlier, and you mentioned some other exciting stuff. So. There is some more exciting stuff, but you're right, I can't talk about any of it yet. I'm under under extreme gag order. Man. <laughs> I, I had a feeling that's why I gagged myself. <laughs> yeah. well, it's funny when you started saying, I don't know if you could talk about it. I was like, oh no, I hope he doesn't speak about that. I know. Um, but yeah, another another thing that I uh, found interesting about the Only Good Indians is, you know, kind of a, aside from, you know, like the major conflicts and stuff and, you know, kind of it's built on relationships, but not just relationships between like the friends, but also kind of just how they it, it's almost like, you know, there's instances where each one of these characters kind of, you know, wrestles with their own like self-identity. Mm-hmm. Um and I kind of made notes of that, um, you know, like Cass, especially with like their, you know, Id- identity as far as, you know, being, you know, Indian. They say yeah, like yeah. Cass, he'll mention Joe is probably three times the Indian and, you know, the whole <laughs> thing with Lewis and uh, Peta. And I was just wondering, you know, kind of what did you want to kind of like what kind of inspired you to have them kind of, you know, wrestle with that identity? Because. I found that like very fascinating that all of them kind of had this, they almost were like wrestling with like their own identities. Oh, well, thank you for pulling that out. That, um, yeah, I wanted to kind of, you know, the title, the only good Indians, I wanted to, num- well, number one, I wanted to push back against that, you know, the only good Indian is a di- only good Indian is a dead Indian thing, of course. But, um, mm-hmm. I really wanted to, I really wanted to interrogate what it means to be a good Indian in today, in today's world, you know? And so each of these characters is trying to figure out what it means to be a good Indian. And I mean, hopefully this isn't too much of a spoiler, but um, it turns out there's not a single way to be a good Indian. It's there's 7 million ways to be a good Indian. There's as many ways to be a good Indian as there are Indians. You don't have to live up to someone else's preconceptions, whether that's a cultural stereotype or some sort of measure of success or whatever. It's just whatever, makes you happy that's the right way to be i think whatever yeah if you're a good person you're a good person i mean my wife and i lived on the res up in washington for a while Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i came to the conclusion that there are very very few indians who are not good indians Uh you know what i mean yeah um but it raises something else in my mind though and that is, uh, I had a few people contacting me leading up to this saying, hey, you're going to yeah. talk to Jones. Uh, can yeah. 
you know, ask him some questions for me, you know, yeah, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. And like, they just wanted to ask like about your ethnicity or the ethnicity of your characters or, yeah. and it's kind of like, but you know, that's not, uh, that's not the reason for those characters. The reason mm-hmm. for the story is those characters, you know, yeah. and it's kind of like, yeah. so I don't, I want to talk about story. Yeah, but that's great. That's great. Does it does it sit easy with you when people ask you a lot of questions about stuff like that, though? Um, I do tend to push back a bit against it. You know, really, it, when I look at all my books, like my first, let me think, one, two, three, four. I think my first four books were um, not horror. In the, I was just writing what I wanted to write, and it was mostly just Indians doing crazy stuff, you know. And yeah. And then I kept doing book events, and people kept um, asking questions that kind of told me they were using the the stories, the fiction, the books as a lens to focus on like what they considered social issues or injustice or you know legal stuff. Um, and and I always that always, I mean I'm I guess I'm glad they're interested, but um, I would to me the fun thing about a book is the story. It's not the way you can yeah. use that story to look at a people, you know? And, right. and because I wanted my stuff to be interfaced with as art instead of like some ethnographic lens, I said, screw y'all. And I just, um, I said, I'm going to write about slashers and zombies and werewolves and vampires and see what y'all can make of that, you know? And so I've been doing that ever since. Um, and yeah, we're, and we're yeah. all, we're all better people for that decision. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I, I think that's just such an interest and and I also I had I just finished the only good Indians last night and then I I tore through the attack of the fifty foot Indian today oh, oh, wow. and and I thought that was such a you know there's there's obviously I think in particular in the only good Indians there's a lot of you know like like you mentioned there's a lot of stuff that's specific to um just that that type of wrestling and and I thought you know the kind of pressures that that Lewis feels you know about even just whether or not he has children mm-hmm. are you know that's such an interesting thing and then to look at the 50 the attack of the 50 foot Indian and it's like there's definitely some poignancy in that but so many of the little asides like this the spirit animal from the litter box I died I died that was hysterical <laughs> so, thank you thank you <laughs> so I thought that was such a cool thing to see these two pieces that I feel like you know, it just there was a di- there was a different, obviously, tone to them. But I, I yeah, I just I, I thought that was really I love the attack of the 50 foot. And, you know, like, you wrote that in an afternoon at a laundromat. Yeah, most <laughs> of it at a laundromat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you very much for reading that. And um, and yeah, you know, I guess when I think about it, Only Good Indians, Night of the Mannequins and Attack of the 50 foot Indian, those are all like overtly Indian instead of just like secretly to me Indian. And I'm. Um, and I feel like, I mean, really, I feel like the reason for that is mongrels, actually. Um, like, for a long time, you know, I say that uh, I told all the, all the people at those book events, screw you, I'm going to do, do horror stuff and see how you like that. But that, I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a falsehood because um, I kept doing, like, non-horror stuff, too, like Not For Nothing and Flesh Boy. And, and um, I felt like for a period of like eight or 10 years, I was two writers, you know, we had the same name, but I was two people. But then mongrels allowed me to marry my genre compulsion with like a more, I don't know what people consider a more literary, like build or mode or something, you know? And I feel like in 2016 mongrels let me become a single writer again. And so, 
since mongrels, I've been able to move forward as just one person instead of two people. And I, and I think I've been doing different stuff since then. And I, I like it, of course. I mean, it, it feels it feels good. It feels good to be one person instead of two people, you know? Yeah, I've never heard it that way, but that's, yeah, I like that. Well, and I'm, I mean, I'm glad. I'm glad that that's given you kind of the opportunity to be able to just, to, you know, to meld back into one person and write what you want to write. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I like, um, I, of course, I, I just love reading acknowledgments. So, <laughs> I'm always, I do too. <laughs> um, I do too. Yeah, I, I really liked that. You know what you said about that. Uh, that, um, your wife mostly just like sort of protects these little pockets of writing time for you. Yeah, yes, she does. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, here's something too. Just before I forget, now that Laurel mentioned acknowledgments, is yeah. um, uh. I have two of your short story collections, um, the ones that got away and the one that's titled I Can Never Say Right, um, After the People Lights Go Off. Have gone off. Have gone off. See, that's what I always screw up. (laughs) Um, And you, at the end of each of those books, you have some fairly extensive story notes about the stories. And they they make the stories just that much more special to me. Oh, thank Um, you. Yeah. And I think to a lot of people, a lot of people tell me that. So uh, that's, no, that's I love, a, go ahead. I love, I love doing those. I love doing it. It feels like I'm getting to write another secret story. You know, it's so fun to me to do those. I'm, I, I far prefer it when they're all at the end of the collection instead of like paired up with each story, you know? Um, yeah. 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 I, yeah. Which I would understand. And some, most readers will probably prefer it that way too. I, I rate, I read every story and page back and read the notes and then went yeah. back and read the next one. So. Yeah. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, that was going to be my next question is what the motivation was. And you kind of just answered that for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, too, I, you know, I've, I read like a ton of interviews and I saw in like an older interview that you did that you kind of make like a playlist for every novel you write. Yep. And I've always kind of been fascinated by that kind of like interplay between like different art forms. Uh-huh. Cause we like other authors, you know, if they write to music and I was um, curious if there was a reason that you started that, but also like, um, do you kind of, think about like what the story is going to be about and then craft the playlist all at once or is it something that you know you kind of mold over time as you're writing the story um you know the reason i started doing that i mean I, the first time i did it was my first novel actually um um the fast red road and i didn't I like this was not i wrote this in 98 99 and i didn't have any idea what a playlist was back then but um i had a CD of Marty Robbins music and I listened to only one song of it. I to listen to El Paso for the whole length of that 10 month novel. Just loop, I looped it, you know, I just played it over and over and over. And I, I, cause I wanted it to work into the, like the fabric and the texture of the novel. And I think when you read, if, if you read that novel, you're going to wonder where's Marty Robbins, you know, but it, it feels like Marty Robbins to me, to me anyways. Um, uh, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Um, and I kind of just got locked into it after that. I mean, number one, the the most like i don't know uh, the the this, the top level of using music when you write for me anyways is just to block the world out you know but um because we have like let's see i'm trying to think when i started doing playlists i think oh yeah that was beautiful centers actually 
that was in 2002 when I was writing All the Beautiful Sinners. I made a playlist of 11 songs, I think it was, something like that. I can probably look them up for y'all if y'all want. I just going to my computer here. <laughs> um, but what I found was I, I was teaching back then. I had a 3-3 load, and I was I think I was working at Sears at night, and I had two young kids, like three and zero or something, you know. Um, and so I had I had like no extra time at all in my in my life in my day. And that's, I mean, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to have busy times like that. But what I found was when I sat down to write, it was taking me some warm up time to get in, back into the world, the emotional landscape of the story. But if I plugged in the same playlist for every writing session, then it was like I was just sucked immediately into the world of that novel. And I didn't have to have a warm up time. And when you only have like 12 minutes to write, then you don't need warm up time. You need to be immediately there. And so ever since then, that's what I've been doing. I just um, make a playlist or sometimes when I get like ambushed by a novel that I don't mean to write, I just reuse a playlist. Yeah, that that's pretty interesting because it, it's almost kind of like how they tell you, like I remember when I was in school and they would like tell you like how to, you know, remember certain things and yeah. they would tell you to kind of like set it to music. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. It's kind of like the same sort of thing, but it's yeah, also yeah. interesting because I'm not sure, you know, all of the songs that you use, but like, I always know there's like a, every time I ask this question, it's kind of like a big divide between like authors that write to like instrumentals or yeah, authors yeah. who write to like lyrics. Do you find yeah, that yeah. the lyrics, not necessarily that you like take those lyrics, but do the lyrics like have like an influence kind of on the tone that you put in your writing or do you just kind of tune that out? You know, with, um, let's see, with Leadfeather, the lyrics of the Def Leppard song Animal did have an actual effect and impact on the novel. But, but no, my one rule for my playlist is these have to be songs that I know just inside out such that I don't have to listen to them anymore. Um, yeah. You know, I said the top level of a playlist for me anyways, music while I'm writing, is to block out the world. But the other reason for it is, um, just right under that, is music occupies the critical part of my brain that's always going to be second-guessing myself about this or that. And if, and I think the key to writing is to shut down that inner critic, just to let, let like, write with your heart. You know, come back and revise with your brain, but to actually open up your heart and bleed on the page you don't need a little voice over your shoulder saying should you have done that should you have done that better somebody's going to read this and hate it all that kind of stuff you know and some music occupy if it's music that i know really really intimately then i don't have to listen to it like part of my brain listens to it but part of my brain writes if that makes sense yeah, totally. Actually, the best best piece of advice I've gotten on that subject because, like, I get yeah. really distracted by music, yeah. but uh, I hadn't really tried listening to stuff I'm that intimately familiar with. But uh, I do have that voice standing there going, "Hey, you suck, man." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, the way the way I used to shut that down before I discovered playlists was I would make myself stay up for 36 or 40 hours. And then when I got to the point where I'm just nodding off every like two minutes, then I would sit down at a computer and make myself right. And then my like I didn't have enough brain power to maintain two voices, so I could only write. I didn't have to listen to any inner critic. Yeah. But I found out that that was burning me up too because I was having to live on energy drinks and all this stuff. And I yeah. figured my heart was my heart was going to explode. So I'm lucky. I'm lucky I found playlists yeah. to kind of supplant that. You know. I think that's kind of that was my college approach is that yeah. I would get drunk for three days straight and then I'd sit down and finish my project and deliver by the deadline. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, so. I found I found that um that all the beautiful sinners playlist. You want me to read it to you right fast? It's ridiculous. Yes, please. It's ridiculous, but I love it. I still listen when I listen to this. I go back to I go back to the the few months I wrote Beautiful Sinners because that was a few months that Vanilla Coke came out. So I always had a big gulp of Vanilla Coke sitting right by me, and I'll just drink Vanilla Coke and listen to this playlist and write Beautiful Sinners. It was the best time. I will I will forever miss that. That was probably my favorite novel to write. Um, it was also my worst experience of ever writing a novel. But in retrospect, your worst experiences sometimes are your best times. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, and it was worse. It was worse because of the editing process. But anyways. All right, I'll run through them. Looks like there's more than 11, isn't there? Yeah. Um, Total Eclipse of the Heart, Bonnie Tyler, that's the first. And I have a hard time keeping her in that song off of all my playlists, actually. Um, Let's hear it for the boy, (laughs) Denise Denise Williams from Footloose. Tiny Dancer, Elton John, Grease, Frankie Valli, Flashdance, What a Feeling, Uh, Crazy for You, Madonna. That was always the last song at all my junior high dances, you know? Sister Christian, um, Ain't Even Done With The Night, Against All Odds, and Doves Cry. And this is a left fielder dancing in the streets, Shalimar. I think that's all. Is that awesome? <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Yeah. Um, Sheena Easton, Strut. I always, I love Strut so much. Um, Will it go around in circles? Billy Preston, uh, Tina Turner, Private Dancer, and Meatloaf, Objects in the Rearview Mirror, which I think is the best end to any playlist. Meatloaf. Yeah. I love that because that's that. I mean, I've always only ever written to instrumental just because I do get distracted by that. That yeah. I see what you're saying. It makes sense if it's a song that you knew in and out. And yeah, yeah when yeah. you say it's like it's the last song that gets played at your, you know, junior high dances, yeah. that's that that is the one that really is going to invoke something. But you don't have to listen to the lyrics. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And my wife, she listens to my playlist sometimes. Like when I'm done with a novel, then I'll sometimes play the playlist in the car or something. I never, when, I, when I'm writing a novel, I never play the playlist anywhere, but when I'm writing the novel, when I'm done with it, it it's released to go into the world of my car anyways, you know? And and my wife, my wife is just instantly sickened by all my playlists because she says they're all so syrupy and emotional. And, it's so <laughs> and she's right. She's right. They all are. But that's just the kind of stuff I like, you know. And I have found that I can't listen to Bruce Springsteen or Towns Van Zandt when I write. And I can hardly listen to Bob Seger because I know all their songs super, super, super well. But it's like, I don't know, what's what's that, that Seinfeld episode where – who is it? The maestro who listens to Desperado. He like goes into like a trance when he hears Desperado. And um, that's how those three artists are for me. I hear Towns Van Zandt and I just kind of zone out and I come back 10 minutes later. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be writing a novel. You know? <laughs> that's hard not to with him though. He's, yeah, for sure. He's entrancing. In, in, the same, in, the, in the same way, I can't, I can't, when I'm writing a novel, I can't read Kurt Vonnegut or Philip K. Dick because when I read them, I wonder why I even try, you know? Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> that is a that is kind of a fine line. I'm definitely a proponent of, you know, reading as much as you can. But, yeah, if it's yeah. going to. Yeah. yeah. So here's something. Um, I see we're uh, kind of approaching the end of our hour here. Um, and I have not heard Tracy's lovely voice in a while. Do you have in, have more, Tracy? Oh, no, I was just looking up like different things and I found this um, old interview from last summer with the LA Review of Books. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the book V. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, 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 yeah. Oh, no, I'm just saying, you know, I had to read that in undergrad like so many mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, 
You mentioned in that interview that you like you wanted to write the next V. Do you yeah. feel like the only good Indians gets you closer to that goal at all? I, no, I don't. I don't think it does. But I think that's because <laughs> V, to me, anyways, V is such a um, unique, like luck. I, I say lucky. I don't mean to insult Pension by saying he don't know what he's doing. You know, but um, <laughs> it 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 just feels like a such a unique thing that um. I mean, I've written, I mean, of course, we all write unique things, you know, like I've written about a drive through urinal. I don't think anybody else has done that, but I don't think, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think Flush, I don't think Flush Boy is V either, you know. Um, you know, I think what, what I like about V, I mean, I like it just as a novel, but as an event, I think that's what I like about it just as much because at that weird time in the early 60s, Pynchon was able to write this wild, crazy postmodern satire. And have it connect with the whole world, you know. Nowadays, you write something like that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to connect with a little coterie of like 14 people, you know. But there was a time in the world in which stuff like that could go wide, and I think we are past that. Um, I think the last time we came close to it might have been the 90s with, um, much as I hate to say it, Infinite Jest. I think that kind of was the last gasp of that kind of effort, you know, really? that, I, that I can think that I can think of, anyways. You know, really, really. Yeah. And I haven't read uh, Infinite Jest yet, but um, and that was kind of leading me to think of like, what are some of the I don't know, I, I, I don't want to be the hey, let's ask the who are your favorite authors question. But I mean, when you think about it, like, do you have a few books that are just forever stuck and influence you, do you think? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, Philip K. Dick's Ubik, that novel is to me just is on the highest pedestals I can imagine in my head. You know, Ubik is amazing. So is Vallis, too. Um, actually, every Philip K. Dick book I read, I'm like, yeah. that's, another, that's another great one, you know? but um, uh, Yeah, we need to talk about that offline, about Ubik. <laughs> that's, like, my yeah. favorite book ever, so. Yeah, it's so amazing. Um, and it's it's like, I want to say it's effortless. You know, what I like about Philip yeah. K. Dick, about all this stuff, even his stuff that, when he'd write, like, four or five novels a year on a mound of speed, you know? Um, I know. Stuff, I know his stuff. Um, it always feels sincere, and um, it feels like he's. It feels like not the world, but reality has um, sketched him into a corner, and the only way he has to get out of it is his pen. He has to write his way out, and that's what all of his books feel like to me. And that's why sincerity is the first thing I look for in anything I read, and I find it nowhere more pungent than with Philip K. Dick. You know, but yeah favorites um love medicine Louise Erdrich I think the end of of love medicine is one of the most um elegant in, endings to any novel that I've ever read and the rest of that novel is amazing too it doesn't just it doesn't just pull it out in the last two pages um Stephen King's it that novel will forever be with me I think I think actually the shining is maybe a better written novel I've read the shining a lot of times but it somehow has my heart you know and I think the reason it has my heart is that I can really feel in it the um, I can feel Stephen King dipping into his own nostalgic childhood, and I engage with that nostalgic dynamic. I guess if yeah. that makes sense. It if does. You can... Yeah, and also one of the, I think one of the most amazing novels of all is Stanislaw Lem's um, Solaris. That novel just blows me away. It is so. I mean, it's a very cerebral novel, but it's very. It's very emotional, too, and it's just one dude on a planet, and that novel will forever blow me away. And if I can just – I'll keep going all night, so I shouldn't do this, but I'll do – how about – I'll do I'll do two more. How about that? Um, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. 
Lonson Dub, Larry McMurtry. That that to me is the pinnacle of the Western. I don't think there's a as far um, as I'm concerned. If, if there is a better Western, then it's going to be Streets of Laredo, Lonson yeah, Dub. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Rich, yeah. Rich. Yeah. Uh, Rich. Rich knows somebody who said the same thing to him recently. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've always. I've always seen it, and I've like the cover. Like I, you know, I try not to judge books by their cover, but uh-huh. I was like, ah, I don't know if this would be something I'd read. So I asked Shane because I know he likes westerns, and he's like, "Oh, yeah. you've got to pick it up." So as soon as I am able to make it to a bookstore, because I see it all yeah. the time, I'm gonna pick yeah. it up. Yeah. You don't have it yet. I'm gonna send it to you. Lonesome Dove is, is <laughs> uh, freaking ridiculous. Uh, now I love, I love that, that book. <laughs> yeah, and Streets Streets of Laredo had no right to be just as good. I didn't think because how do you follow up like a bestseller that also did he win the Pulitzer? <laughs> it seems like he did. Um, yeah. How do you how do you actually how do you have the nerve to even write a sequel to that? But yeah. How do you, how do you make that sequel as good? That just blows me flat away. I cannot even conceive of it. You know. Um, and I guess the other uh, to mention one more title. How about um, Dorothy Allison's Bastard Out of Carolina? That novel to me hits all the good nights. Yeah, and I was I was actually just going to ask you if you had any like um, female writers. I do a lot of work with the ladies of horror fiction. So, but you mm-hmm. mentioned Dorothy Allison. It's not horror, but yeah. Know, well, I, no, it's it's de- it's definitely yeah. a type of horror. Um, and Louise Erdrich, she's not she's not really she's not horror, but there is there is a chapter in there where a mother sits at the door with an axe waiting for her son to come home. You know, and that's a horror trope. It feels like, anyways. Yeah. Cool. Very good. All right. Go ahead, Laurel. I was just going to say, um, Laurel, Rich, want to throw throw something in here, and uh, Stephen, yourself as well, before we let you uh, escape. <laughs> and hopefully, I did, hopefully, I didn't use up too much time with reading my playlist out loud. That's the first time I've ever done that. That's oh no, man. <laughs> to be honest with you, I'm a, I was I was accommodating your time because we had originally <laughs> said you'd have about an hour. We we yeah. didn't go all freaking night long. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I was the I was actually just going to thank Tracy for asking that question because between the playlist and like the reading list, I'm just like, aha, okay, I'm going to settle in with this. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mark the timestamps too, so we can Thank find you, it. Thank you, Shane. I appreciate yep. it. <laughs> Very good. So, Rich. Uh, no, yeah, just wanted to thank you, and uh, also ask, you know, is it cool uh, if we go back and listen to that? If we uh, post up all the songs for the playlist, just so people can uh, oh, read yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, that would be cool. great. That'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Man, just, I want to listen to it. I want to listen to it now. I'm looking at it. Ain't even done with the night. That song always. Every time I listen to it, my heart breaks and comes back together. You know. I think about half of them are already on my playlist, anyways. So like, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Perfect. Uh, you know, t- you know, talking about. Uh, well, this isn't actually Flashdance. No, this is Flashdance. It's what's that? The, there's a loud song from Flashdance. Um, what is it? But there's one of the, the 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 big song. Maybe it is what a feeling. I was at the gym. This has probably been about four years ago, and I was doing an elliptical machine, and the the track went around like where all the elliptical machines were, and so I'm right there by the track, and I'm doing my machine, and um everybody who walks by, who not walks by, who runs by, they like are really staring me down, and I'm thinking I'm thinking man, I these must be good shorts, or I must have great form, or I don't know what's going on, you know. Um, of course, and um and then finally I. 
I walked away and I went to the locker room or somewhere and I realized that somehow my headphones had jacked up. So I was playing flash dance, like at full volume, you know? <laughs> hey, I've done that. I got onto the bus one time blaring something that I wouldn't want anyone to know I was blaring and I didn't have my headphones actually plugged in. So, yeah. Well, I did that. I did that like last summer. I have a Jeep and I had the top off and I pulled up to somewhere where everybody was sitting outside eating tacos and they all looked over, and when they all looked over, I realized, oh, no, this is loud, isn't it? And it was Gwen Stefani's Rich Girl, you know? It's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> it was so great to talk to you. Like, it was I'm wonderful to talk to me, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad that Inkeist had me on today, too. I, I feel um, very honored, actually. Well, thank you oh. for joining in. It has been great talking yeah. Yeah. We'll have you anytime, Tracy, anytime at all. And you too as well, uh, Stephen. Um, Dr. Jones. <laughs> yeah. um, sorry, for some reason I love calling you that. So <laughs> I do that with other people. They go, who? <laughs> but, yes, thank uh, you very much. It's, it's in particular just after having read uh, both of those stories. It's just a big, a big thrill to get to talk to you. So I really hope all the launch and everything goes well, even considering everything that's going on. Thank you so uh, much. Yeah. Ditto. Ditto. Uh, thank you so much, man. We appreciate you coming. Wonderful. Talk to you all another time. All right. All right. Take it easy. Thanks. Yeah. Have a good night. Have good, a good night, night Stephen. So this is where I sit here and see how many people hang up on me after he goes away. Okay, so that was super cool. Like, that was really fun. That was. And uh, Tracy, I'm so glad you were on here. Like, I feel like you had such a good, like, teacher connection with him. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, you asked such good questions. And also, you didn't sound terrified at all. So I'm really glad you were here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I think it has to do with the teaching thing. Like, I'm used to having, like, 40 yeah. people staring at me. So... And right I have on. an opportunity to talk to people. I'm going crazy here. Crazy. I bet. I, I bet. Us too. Um, and that's yeah. the other thing, too, is that uh, we're not usually all that uh, terrified. But this particular one, we were all like, oh, my God, the, <laughs> like royalty, you know. <laughs> Here's hey. hey, super cool. What's going on? <laughs> I, I just want to jump in here and mark a major Inkheist milestone. I don't think I heard Shane utter a single F word. He did. Oh, he just did? Once. Several. He just once. Okay. I must no. just not have noticed it because I was like, like you said, I was so nervous too. But I was like, man, we didn't like go off the rails like we sometimes do with like the inappropriate jokes or yeah i knew he had an hour so i didn't want to get real disruptive like i usually am with shit you know so. <laughs> but i i couldn't even remember it i was like oh i don't think he said a single one that's okay laurel said motherfucker on mad men or monster men no she said it so. <laughs> That's going to be your go-to no matter what, isn't it? No matter what you say. Yeah. <laughs> At least you didn't say motherfucker to Jack and PC. Yeah, exactly. I know. Shane didn't um, mute himself on accident this time. <laughs> yeah. He's no, gotten never. better with that. <laughs> I hope, yeah. So, well, that's nice that you listen to our podcast. Well, of course I do. I she she, she starts mentioning my flaws. It's like, right on. She's legit. 
Yeah. <laughs> we, we can boost our listenership up to 13 now. <laughs> I think I crashed you guys for, was it Tremblay? Yes. Yep. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That is June 27th. Yes. And you're in, right? Because, yeah. Yeah, my summer brain will be in like full mode then, so you'll have to remind me. Oh no! Worries. Oh, I will. I'll be jumping up and down and screaming and all that kind of thing. So I learned an important lesson today. Yeah, so you'll get contacted. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I have to read Survivor Song yet though. I haven't read that one. Oh, I need to do that too. Yeah. yeah. Um, it hasn't even it hasn't even showed up here. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Shane, because I know you said you were, like, in contact with him. Yeah, I got to follow up on it, because I called her, I followed her up again a month ago, and she said it was on its way, so. Well, George on Twitter, Book Monster, he sent me his to, like, send back to him, and then I won one on Goodreads, so I have two, but one I have to send back, so. Right on, right on. But, yeah, if you have to send one back, keep the other one for yourself, man. Yeah, for sure. I got to read Mallory too. You guys are talking to Josh soon, aren't you? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I can't wait to start that one. Yeah. Same here. Rich, mute your microphone before you go to the bathroom, man. <laughs> I am. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm gonna get a snack, I think. But thank you guys for having right. me. Uh, Absolutely. It was so good to talk to you, Tracy. Yes. Agreed. I'll be back. It was. Right. Uh, love you, twin. You're welcome yes. anytime. Yes. All right. All right. Bye. Have a good night. Bye. Fun. Fun. Yeah. That was awesome. So, uh, since we're still on the air here, do you guys want to keep rolling? or? Rich <laughs> is probably not back yet, but nah, is he? Nah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm good, too. Um, do you, we have any subject matter in particular we want to cover or? You know, that's where that's where I'm having an issue. Maybe we want to um, unless you guys are super creative because I'm on these goddamn anxiety meds that I'm getting used to again. Um, so as far as subject matter, I can gab all fucking night long. But if you ask me to be creative and mention in advance what to talk about, <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> well yeah that's fine i'm i have uh quit drinking for a short period of time so i'm probably less fun than usual but i will absolutely hop on with that i'll let you guys lead um okay that would be perfect with me i'm uh i'm also not uh imbibing in any substances right now either so yeah that's also why i was a little bit more serious this time probably yeah, I'm. Well, I commiserate you with you then on the whole lack of being drunk thing, which is very sad. But it's sad. It is. But I, I won't cry online. <laughs> well, now, now I feel bad because I was like, I had I had made it most of the way through the ones I brought up here, and I asked Eva to bring another one. <laughs> <laughs> no, drink for all of us. It's it's. Uh, yeah. In fact, bring three that. more. <laughs> Mine is I'm going to try to do like 21 days cleanse because I can't work out and I don't want to have to go back to wearing my maternity clothes. It's going to piss me off. So this is this that's is a diet without saying too. it's a diet, saying a cleanse. Fuck it. Yep. I want to that's say diet. my problem, too, is the the uh, all alcohol diet has a rate of attrition. <laughs> and uh, that's I was just like 
I haven't really put on any weight, but I was looking in the mirror last night. And it's like, God, dude, you do have not, you have no <laughs> fucking tone whatsoever. You know? <laughs> oh, man. I, I've launched back in the full on dad mode. Have like you got the dad, dad bod? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I used to, like, it was funny because, like, through college, like, when I entered college, I was about average. And then, you know, you get the meal plan. And I'm like, oh, man, all the chip witches and cheesecake and cheeseburgers I can eat. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Plus yes. the booze. I, like, like doubled my weight almost. <laughs> and then, like, you know, I was like, okay, this is not good. So then I went back to average. And then I've started to go back up, but most of it I like to attribute to the fact that I sit my ass in my van all day and just drive around. So, um, so uh, just <laughs> for the sake of for the sake of officiality, uh, this is uh, Shane and Rich and Laurel. You guys all know who the fuck we are, so I'm not going to get too formal about it. Um, we just finished talking with the great Stephen Graham Jones and we had Tracy Robinson for a guest and you'll get to hear that someday soon but you don't get to know when now um, so but uh, here we are again talking to you and that's our formal introduction um, now somebody save me awesome I'm, I'm glad that was our official intro and that stuff we were just talking about uh, isn't part of the episode <laughs> oh no I didn't say that I just oh, no, to no, you <laughs> You said that this was the official intro, so everything prior is now cut loose. That's like the official <laughs> intro, you know, where I say, hello, everybody, this is us, right? So, But it's not the yeah. official beginning. Oh, no. That, that, that hey, happened you, like hey, eight minutes ago, buddy. <laughs> hey, man, you know what? I'm, I'm cool with it either way. But, uh, uh, too, that's cool. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'd be cool with it. I don't give a shit, but... I think that's still a better intro than uh, the time that I told everybody. Like, as soon as we started, I'm like, good night, everybody. This is uh, Rich Duncan. I think. <laughs> right. It's already done. <laughs> so uh, here's something, though. Um, it's not, you know, really a new topic, but it will be to anybody listening to this. And it'll build up a little anticipation. How fucking cool was that? How sweet is that guy? Yeah, oh, that, yeah was that was one was of my great. favorites. Uh, Dr. Stephen Graham Jones, he's just absolutely an amazing author. Everybody knows that, but he's also an amazing person, I think. Yeah. And just every time I yeah. think that I'm not going to, you know, learn anything new from him. I mean, just when you think, you you know, you maybe have heard everything in the way of writing advice. Like, he just had so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he filled yeah. He, he gave me volumes of things to think on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, especially like, uh, you know, the whole like we're all world builders. Yeah, and yeah. Even, even well, like the uh, music thing. I'm not. Don't worry. I know yeah. what you're going to say. Don't spoil the whole episode. <laughs> not gonna, don't you worry. <laughs> don't you worry. I was just giving that one quote. But yeah, you know, there was a lot of stuff in there that I thought was really cool. Like, you know, even like pretty much even sometimes like some of the more basic stuff like that even I asked, you know. Like, he gave such great answers, and that's one thing I love about doing this show is, like Laurel said, you always think that, you know, you, you're going to hear kind of, like, the same stuff, but I think it's just, like, the approaches of all the authors, like, how everybody's different, like, yeah. every week. It's, like, it's basically... 
you know, and this is me getting to brag a little bit and hopefully people don't think I'm a dick for doing so, but like listening to this show or doing this show, I feel like it's basically like, you know, almost like a master's class in writing in a way, like you get all these great tidbits from these writers that, you know, I've taken to heart and have helped me a lot. Um, yeah, I mean, to toot our own horn, I'm more than willing to do so. Um, it, if you were to transcribe every one of our episodes and put it in a book, it wouldn't be a super bad collection of writing essays. Yeah, especially if you deleted all of our terrible jokes. Well, and especially, <laughs> since, especially since Laurel joined because she started asking questions like that. Yeah, or, yeah. Laurel's know, definitely the, the technique thing, you know, where do you know, and all that, you know, what's your process and stuff. We didn't yeah. really used to think heavily about that until you joined, and it's a really good one to ask because that's where the real knowledge comes out of these guys most often. Well, yeah. I feel like you guys, you all always got that information, anyways, even if the the, the specific question wasn't there, because that was, I mean, that was part of why. I, I listened every week anyways, too, is just because it, you know, there was always so much good coming out of it. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, because authors are, you know, just essentially giving people for the most part, you know, and the ones who aren't giving people are also usually not all that good. Um, <laughs> so, you know, and they're, and they're forthcoming. <laughs> and you also, you know, you kind of... Uh, get a sense they want to put that knowledge out there they want people to have the benefit of um their their tears and their sweat and blood you know because why the fuck would they wish it on anybody else if they don't have to go through it yeah 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 and i mean the encouragement factor too like it's just you know there's there's a lot of times that gosh i mean a writer doesn't need someone else to be down on them they so damn down on themselves half the time, you know, yeah. being yeah. able to just spit a, a, a story or a novel or yeah. anything out is, is just kind of a kind of impressive anyways that anyone gets that far because yep. we're all beating each other up, but uh, I, not each yeah. other ourselves. But I got in an argument with a guy on social media the other day because he started trashing something I wrote and it's like, dude. You know that every fucking thing you're saying to me is just really running right off of me because I've said so much worse shit to myself recently. <laughs> you just, you just, man, you ain't hitting me any place I haven't hit myself yet. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and it's, I mean, some of that's, uh, I don't know. So some of that stuff is just so ridiculous. Some of the opinions that people throw out there, like, yeah. I, this is not, I mean, it's not related, except that it is in the sense that, like, there's just a level of stupidity that I don't respond to. So, like, I've read, I've read this ridiculous opinion that, like, women who've had a C-section aren't actual others. I've seen and it's that. like, some people get so, right? But it's like, some people get so up in arms and offended, and I'm like, I'm sorry, it's just so dumb. All I hear is this ringing in my ear when you speak. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> and, so like, yep. I, I, I'm just, I'm going to hum something that's going to annoy you so I don't have to listen to you. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, it's just way, way beyond worth responding to, because you're just so fucking stupid. Who well, says and that? And see, there's the yeah. thing about that exactly is that the first thing that goes through my mind when someone says something like that is, I want to rip your fucking head off, but you won't understand why. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you won't feel it because I'm sure that's not where your brain is anyway. Exactly. So your brain is sitting somewhere at the tip of your penis right now, so it's not <laughs> super huge and not super concerning to me. 
Yeah, I, see, I, I was going to say their brain would be on the, kind of the other end of that spectrum instead of the tip of their <laughs> be somewhere else. Well, they could probably they probably have the tips of their penises up their own asses anyway. Right. <laughs> Well, I actually think it's mostly under their Karen haircut. Is oh the, yeah, the, yeah so. a public apology to any Karens who don't suck. Yeah. I I really hate that for you that your name got drawn into this whole yeah. just association, and I'm I'm really sorry about that. The, to the Karens the world over, we see you. Yeah, the, um, the good ones, not not yes. not. Not yes. the actual, you know. Not all Karens. Not like that Karen. Yeah. You get what I'm saying, Karens. And not like the, the dude with the Karen haircut on his pubes either. <laughs> what? Well, she said his brain was under his Karen hair, so, you know, if it's in the... I was the, talking about chicks, but... <laughs> okay, gotcha. Yeah. I was still stuck on the guy with the brain in his dick. So. I'm dead. <laughs> But now, now <laughs> that's, that's going to be a thing you watch. I fit in, so. <laughs> no, it's just, that just brought about so many unwanted <laughs> men. <that are> just, <laughs> he's got Karen hair going. Yeah, and he is the manscaper to do it, too. <laughs> Oh man, those those commercials! I swear to God, they're the worst things I've ever uh, seen. And who was it said it popped up right in the middle of one of his fucking kids shows on YouTube? <laughs> it didn't happen to me with like the kids videos, but yeah, it pops up all the time. Like on like I'll be watching YouTube and it pops up, and the guy's just like in this like exaggerate like exaggerated high energy. He's like. Yeah. We got these special blades. Won't nick your balls. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, if I ever meet you, I'm going to pull something out and nick your fucking balls. You know? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, because I'm sure people are like probably going, what the hell? I, I don't know if any of you guys have started it yet, but I started Laird Barron's uh, Worse Angels today. After I, yeah, after I tore through the last bit of uh, the only good Indians and then read um, the attack of the 50 foot Indian. I'm only like four chapters in, but man, every, every time I read those Coleridge novels, like I know I love them, but like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm going to start worse angels. And it's like, every time I start one of those books, I'm always just like totally gobsmacked by how good the writing is. Um, yeah, yeah, there are books that do that to me where it just blows me away, you know, and like, uh, the book that we were all talking about earlier, Lonesome Dove, that book is to, for me, it like, like I told Rich, if someone says, what's your favorite book, any genre you've ever read, Lonesome Dove slips out easily. I don't even have to think about that answer, you know. It is just, I mean, it's incredible. The characterization, um, just, I don't know, some of the some of the brutality in there is just like, yikes. Uh, but, yeah, but know. if you see the real life story, you understand where that brutality comes from, and it's horrifying. It yeah. turns it from a Western into a horror story, if you know the story it's based on, you know? <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sure. Well, yeah. <laughs> Those That's, guys went through some shit. <laughs> yes. 
that, I mean, that's what I always figured is that it was pretty accurate, you know, yeah. as far as that went. And uh, I'm just never going to get over the water moccasins ever. I'm really oh, God. terrified of water anyways. So. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I don't know if you've ever had the water moccasin experience. You live in the South, so maybe. But uh... I've had one follow me across a lake that I was swimming across. I think I probably oh, told that. you that. But yeah, that was not cool. That, that you're swimming really fucking fast across, right? Well, I had I didn't know it was behind me. Um, oh, that's right. You I'm, did tell us that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was yeah, where my dad just decided not to let me know. I mean, I still don't know. Honestly, I wouldn't have been having my kid swim across the lake that had water because i don't know as a parent i'm just not sure what the yeah. right is there was. <laughs> well and some not dissing your parents at all or anybody in the south but some southerners just aren't all that worried about that stuff like it, they're so accustomed to the the existence of things like that see that and, and this is yeah. that actually this is the thing this is what weirds me out and i don't know if it's because i was like I was always the kid who was worried about everything. I worried about everything. The first time I did uh, laser tag, I it did not occur to me that they would turn the lights on and there would be lights to the exit. I thought I was lost forever. Oh, and no. So <laughs> I followed some – I found someone to follow, and they were on the opposite team, and I just kept shooting them because – as long as I'm following them, they're like, can you leave me alone? I'm like, no, you're my ticket out of here, but I also, I want to keep shooting people. So hey, I, Laurel, I, see, Laurel's surviving <laughs> the apocalypse for goddamn sure. Nope. Last John and kill you, but also use you to get out. But Oh, shit, the zombies are going to come and they're going to kill us. <laughs> Shoot them in the leg. Boom. No, they're going to kill you. Bye. <laughs> Could be. That's, you know, I might survive, but it's, it's, yeah, like it was weird. I remember we, I don't know where we were, South Carolina, something on vacation. And we're like going on this bike ride. And then at the front of the trail, it says there are poisonous snakes, uh, you know, fucking like boa constrictors, alligators, bears. Yeah. And there we go. And I'm like eight going, excuse me, who made this decision? You know, yeah. and, and at some point on the trail, there's my dad and my brother way ahead. My mom and my sister way behind. And you're right there alone. Like, forgotten middle child in the middle. I'm like, that for sure is a goddamn alligator over there. Because like, just at that age, you expect well, yeah. that people know what they're doing, especially grownups. But at that age, I was like, I'm just not sure that they're thinking this through. Oh, honestly. Yeah, I don't think they really know what the hell they're doing here. You know? I, just, I don't know. Uh, that's too funny. But no, I mean, it's like, yeah, a, a little defenseless victim walking down a trail ball by herself. Luckily, I was on a bike, so it gave uh, me a, well, you know. You, well, so now you look like you're running. That's yeah. awesome. You know, like, <laughs> did, did you guys not see this lions and tigers oh bear, and bears oh my sign back there? You know? Because <laughs> like, if I see that shit... With my kid, I'm going to be like, turn the fuck around. Like, we're we're not staying. We're out. I'm not taking my kid anywhere where this shit is. I went hiking. It, also, though, as a Southerner, you do kind of start to ignore that stuff because there's a there's a there's that sign everywhere. Yeah. So sometimes it's not really a thing. But I was hiking in Tennessee with a girlfriend of mine. And at the front of the trail, it said uh, venomous snakes, bears and deer. And so we're going along and we like, you know, we got just about run down for this by this herd of deer who was running. And I was like, OK, well, that's all right. That's one of them. And then we're walking along and the girl I was with, God love her. That's the only time she's ever shut up the whole time I've known her. I turned around. 
I was like, shit, something's happened. She quit talking and I turned around. There's a goddamn snake, like, like almost, I mean, I don't want to say standing because they don't have feet, but it's like, it's way up in the air, like, like almost to like her shoulder height, like stretched up. And they're just looking at each other. And I'm like, I just think that you should move. Like, yeah, if that snake starts singing, trust in me, you're dead. I, I, I'm still laughing because she's like, that's the first time she ever stopped talking. I told her that when we were leaving, I was like, I was like, that's how I knew something was wrong. You stopped talking. It was <laughs> oh, this but, can't be good. <laughs> after after I backed her up away from like the snake charm or whatever, I was like, hey, we've had deer and snake, which I felt okay dealing with, but bears, I got nothing. Yeah, we're turning the wait. fuck around and leaving. That's two out of three. We're out of fucking yeah. options. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what to yeah. do with bears. But that's terrifying too because a snake that's it up up like that is a snake that is more than invested in doing you damage. It really is, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. And it's yeah. It's kinda of, it's kinda of, I think I might have told Shane this story and I, I might even have told both of you, but did I ever tell you about like my great grandma and what she used to do with snakes when she uh she lived down in Virginia? No, but this there this is already an awesome story please proceed yeah. <laughs> yeah she's pretty hardcore like it's not a very long story because i was told it a very long time ago but um like her and my uh, great grandpa i believe they i know my great grandpa did it might have been her too but they both lived on uh, the reservation down south in virginia and um like they would have a problem with snakes and one time my great-grandma she had grabbed one apparently and then like to you know like get rid of it she to kill it she would just crack it like a bullwhip like, she would catch <laughs> yeah. it with her bare hands and then crack it like a bullwhip and it would basically like kill it yep that's you can kill them that way but i'm just not quite brave enough yeah, me either. When yeah. I heard that, I'm like, geez, I'm like, my great grandma's freaking like metal as hell. Yeah. yeah. No shit. <laughs> you know, my my big snake story, and it was it's a fun one, was that uh, my mom uh, dated abuser after abuser after abuser all my life, and uh, that's not the fun part. Okay, so don't okay, don't think I'm that morbid. Morbid. Um, well. One such son of a bitch forced me to go camping and fishing with him and a bunch of his fellow drunk buddies. And uh, I brought my friend Timmy along because I knew it was going to be a drag. Um, And they're all sitting around the campfire drunk one evening. And we're up in the hills over, but it's over by the Deschutes River in eastern Oregon. And... uh, we're up in the hills and we find all these little snakes, you know, and they told us, watch out for rattlesnakes. And that's all golden because none of these fuckers has rattles, you know. So we pick up all these little fucking snakes and toss them in this bag and take them down and think this is going to be funny fucking joke. And dump this bag of snakes right in the middle of this circle of drunks. 
and uh, they're molting rattlesnakes, very young ones. Oh. <laughs> you never seen five drunk men scream and run so fast in your entire fucking life. And they left us standing there. <laughs> You guys are like, we told you we didn't want to come. This is what you it's get. Exactly. Fucking Mission accomplished, sack of motherfuckers. Snakes, motherfucker. Yeah. You know. Have a sack of snakes. Yeah. So while they're running away, we grabbed a couple of beers and ran back off up into the hills. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good times. Good times. So everybody is, I'm sure, enjoying this book talk we're having here. We we did talk I, about how I amazing tried. it was to talk about books with a guy that writes books, so that kind of qualifies. Hey, yeah, um, and I I did try and steer us in that direction with Forest Angels, and then we that's the one thing I love. Like then we went from that to Lonesome Dove, and then somehow we ended up with a uh, like Ink Heist's you know Animal Special. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's just one of those things, man. We, you know, we talked about we talked about uh, animals of sorts in that other one we just recorded. So, you know, maybe it's just on our brains. Could be. And, uh, we even talked about uh, snakes. So, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to find reasons for our existence right here tonight. No. No, that's good. But yeah, no, the reason I brought up Worse Angels is because I was going to see what you guys were uh what you guys were reading. So, did you see that movie? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm actually starting Worse Angels tomorrow. Um and I'm well, also uh... reading Andrew Cole's Bones. <laughs> what about you, Laurel? Um, I I started Devil's Creek last night, and I am reading um, Santa Muerte uh, by Cena Paleo. Oh, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Yes, because it is it is Latinx uh, Book Month. Um, that's right, it is. And uh, I've received some really fucking wonderful stuff this month from a lot of lovely, lovely Latinx people. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's one of the finest examples that you can mention, though, when you mention names is Cena Paleo. Yes. Yeah, this is really good. And actually, I, I was I ordered this right before her publisher took it offline. Um, so this is this is like the original uh, paperback version of it. Um, oh, I, I has envy. It's it's really good, and you know she. I, I remember her posting some when she was doing some rewrites on it, and, and was kind of down on it. But this is no, this is excellent. It's it's really well done. It's very gripping, and it's very just sort of haunting. Um, and particularly, I'm I'm not I, I'm not someone who reads a lot of YA, but um, it bridges the gap for sure. But it's also something that like I I think it's important for kids that age to read you know there's just some there's just some really really good stuff in here and yeah and that's the other side of that coin is it's not only important for them to read but to read the kind of quality that books like that contain you know get an idea of the the level of literature that's actually available to them out there in the world you know i mean and i'm not dissing anything rich so and take it 
don't take it that way, but I mean, goosebumps is all well and good, but uh, <laughs> looks, looks like what Oral's talking about kind of teach you a little bit about what uh, truly important literature is going forward. Goosebumps is is important to you as a child. Uh, Cena's work is important to you as a child who's working toward being an adult. Yeah. Oh yeah, like for if, sure. If that sort of thing had been available, I feel like that would be something that I would have gravitated towards. Me too. Um, yeah, exactly. Cause uh, like, don't get me wrong. Like I love goosebumps and that was a big part of what got me into reading. But like back then, like that was pretty much like it because that's what had all the marketing dollars behind it. And, you know, I was young, so I don't know what indie publishing was like back then and stuff like that. But it seems like now you have a lot more choices, whereas like yeah. back then you only had whatever the big publishers pushed toward you. Yeah, yeah. And it's been a slow overtime thing because you didn't even have a term YA when I was a kid. Um, yeah. And they didn't push anything kid oriented at anybody because, you know, that's what teachers were for. Um, but teachers have colossally bad taste, uh, except for the two that we just talked to. They rock. <laughs> I, th- I think it's more that like the ones that have bad taste are the ones you remember. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like that one jackass that makes fun of you for reading goosebumps. Miss Dylan. I remember you. Huh. Uh, <laughs> Miss Dylan, you rotten. I can't say it, but yeah. <laughs> Hope you're listening, Miss Dylan. Yeah, I hope you, you can feel get... bad. <laughs> yeah. You are bad, and you should feel bad. Also, you are crap at teaching algebra. Anyway. Right, Miss <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> uh, my my uh, my math teacher uh, slash algebra teacher was Mrs. McMantry, and I will never, ever fucking per- forget her because she was a rotten human being, and she looked like a praying mantis, and it was the most <laughs> because every time I called up to her about something, I said Mrs. McMantis and got sent to the fucking office, so no. <laughs> it's like, no, this is not cool putting Shane in a class like this. <laughs> you know, you know, it's funny. Every time, like, we do these solo episodes, I'm like, what should I jot down for show notes? And it's like, listen to Shane and Laurel talk shit about their, like, elementary school teachers. <laughs> Hope well, you're listening, Miss Dylan Miss Manis, you fucks. <laughs> but... You know, on the other hand, thank you, Mr. George, for actually teaching me algebra the next year and not being a douche clown. So that's appreciated. We could just, you know, give give a shout out to a good teacher. You know, I don't I don't know why the term the term douche clown just really <laughs> evokes images that, uh, man, I could go on all night and you guys would just have hung up on me hours ago. <laughs> Is he still talking about douche clowns? <laughs> the only person in the world who actually holds any record for the longest amount of hours talking about a douche clown. <laughs> well, jump on that before before everyone hey. tries tries to get that record. Yeah, I don't think that's a sword I want to die on personally, but. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> uh, 
But no, you were saying something too earlier, Shane, when you uh, almost steamrolled me over the books about movies. What movie were you going to talk about? Um, no, actually, I was just doing that to try to fuck with you about the... Cause that, <laughs> that, that was the third time that we had just, you know, washed over your whole worst Angels thing and talked about something else. <laughs> Let's see how long it takes until he realizes we're fucking with him. <laughs> no, nah, nah, I did, but it was actually a pretty good segue. <laughs> well, but actually, though, it does make me think about that amazing fucking Irish movie that Laurel Hightower recommended to us and wasted an yeah. entire night of writing for me. <laughs> yes, yeah, let's talk about it. I love that movie. I love talking about it. Uh, you you lead, Laurel, because it was your, quote, discovery, and it's a beautiful one. Yeah, so if you if you didn't catch uh, the episode of Necronomicon that we kind of broke this down, it was it was it was good. It was really fun breaking this down. But the movie is The Eclipse, not Eclipse, and I'm not hating on anybody <laughs> who watches Twilight, but that's not what I'm talking about. Um, I yeah. am, but that's a, that's otherwise. <laughs> well, that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is it has. Oh, I'm always gonna mispronounce his name. Is it Kit? Um, Heinz, shit. Uh, and Heinz. It's a Gaelic name. I'm. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's. It is. Uh, we thought... talked about him the other night because I really love this guy. He's an incredible. You're talking about the playwright, or? Yeah. Oh no. Uh, the actor. The actor. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can tell you real quick because I really want to know, and I just searched that last night, so it pops right up when I start to type it. <laughs> um, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. The guy that played Michael Farr, C.R. and Hines, and I, I'm sure I'm massacring that, and I'm Irish, so you know, uh, I can tell by one of the funny little hyphen thingy notes, angled, you know, little pieces of dirt above one of the letters, that I'm saying it wrong, but uh, everybody knows what I'm talking about, Rich. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I do. <laughs> um, I thought that him and uh, the woman who played Lena, and I will not try to pronounce either one of her names, um, they were brilliant, I thought, yes. in that film. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was such a, just an atmospheric um, film, and and just so, I mean, I would, I would still classify it as a horror movie. Yeah. Uh, because of because of some of the elements in it and yeah for real like my my main advice to you on this if when you watch this watch it when you're not going to be interrupted when you can keep your attention on the screen and Absolutely. I'm, yeah i'm really sorry about all the times you're going to jump behind the couch or you know yeah. <laughs> yeah you know take a nice nice quiet ride in the car or, yeah, um, yeah. Um, in, in any of those times yeah yeah and it's a it's uh Directed by a guy named Connor McPherson. That's the guy I was trying to think of, who is just a fucking brilliant playwright. And this movie makes me think, had it been a passion of his, or it, you know, if it ever becomes one, he'll be a fucking great filmmaker too, because he already was as far as that one went. Yeah, well, it's interesting but, you say that because uh, we were we were talking about that earlier about like how we were surprised he didn't have more movies because I think it was like what'd you say 2010 it was out or 2009? Yeah, yeah 2009 I think it released in the UK in 2010 here. 
Yeah, and that was like his only movie, which I was surprised because I loved it. Like the atmosphere, like you said, and it was just beautifully shot. Yeah, and I, I mean, we talk about loving those Irish, you know, yeah. those Irish horror films. But here's the thing about the Eclipse that really impressed me, and it's a, it's kind of a stupid gauge, but I normally fucking hate a good love story. Um, but that had some nice romantic elements into it that really, really brought heart and soul to the whole thing, you know. Plus one of the most uh, uh, amazing personalities in the character, Lena, I just absolutely fell in love with that character. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And, like, I, you know, I, I will preface it with this. As much as I loved it, like, if you're not into kind of character driven <laughs> stories or, you know, stories that are a little bit more of a slow burn, then it's probably not something I would recommend to you. But like, if you, if you're not necessarily looking for something like, you know, completely crazy or over the top. Yeah. And you kind of appreciate like a more character focused thing than necessarily mm-hmm. like, you know, Okay, what's the scary thing that's happening? Yeah, it's definitely character for it's it's really driven by um, character and story and yeah. you know um, and yeah, it's dark. There's some good scares in there. There's yeah. a scary story going on in there, but it's it's the characterization and the control of the story that make it and and also kind of make it obvious that the director is a thespian. Yeah. Um, at least yeah. to me. And I want to I go back and read uh, the play that it's based on um, because it's just I, I don't know. Like so, the depictions of of grief in that were were just so <laughs> yeah heart rending. Mm-hmm. You know. That's yeah. That's what what caught me as I'm watching it. Well, first, what caught me is that I had been watching it for about 20 minutes and didn't know what was going on and had to go back and pay attention. Um, so <laughs> Laurel's right. That is important. Uh, yeah. But then, yeah, the, these uh, what made me interested in going back is that one of the first scenes that was just so fucking intensely emotional that I'm sitting there watching a horror film with tears in my eyes. And it's like that does never happen. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, or maybe I mean, like Thelma did that to me and that's about it. But it's all what? It's all earned. You yeah. know, like it's just not, it's not manipulative yeah. at all. Um, and it's, I told uh, David when we were watching this, I got so frustrated with it. It was some uh, Ashley Judd movie. Um, that, and I like Ashley Judd, but I forget what movie it was. It was just so campy. It was so... Uh, just you know here's how you're supposed to feel it was just this like oh you know she she immediately sits down in the closet starts looking through a a photo album and crying and i'm like okay fuck off you did nothing to build character here we don't know you know why do i care that you're crying this is annoying who gives a fuck Um, yeah yeah. whereas everything in 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 the eclipse is so subtle yeah because that's what he does right out the gate is that that's the first thing he does is he starts building putting in little building blocks that work on the process of making you care you know so that by the time the real hardcore heavy hitting emotion starts coming through you actually give a damn about that you know yeah Mm. and and michael's reactions to things seem um yeah just they're just very real you know exactly exactly um 
yeah, I, I'm just totally and totally, totally infatuated with that film. Um, yeah. And another one I mentioned to Laurel last night, just because I don't want to forget this, because uh, Laurel will, or Laurel, the other Laurel, the one with the penis here, um, Rich, will, <laughs> will heavily enforce uh, what I told you about that uh, um, Dead Men's Shoes. Oh, oh, yeah. I'm in shoes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was so lost at first. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <sighs> but yeah. Sorry, that's... Take, taking advantage of your, your uh, tiredness. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm not that <laughs> tired. But I was just like, wait, what the fuck? But yeah, Dead Man's Shoes is an excellent one. Um, cause yeah, cause you were talking about that and then you were also talking about the horsemen and I got to admit, I'm a little bit fuzzy on <clears throat> most of them because like I, like I, I said on another episode, like we watched so many movies. Yeah. But, uh, those ones, those ones definitely resonated yeah. especially yeah. dead man shoes. But, uh, but in a way, okay. When you think about it, this is weird to me and that is, I don't know that there's any other movie I could say. I watched this really splattery grindhouse movie, and it just fucking broke my heart. I mean, because, like, yeah. The Horseman isn't one that uh, David would watch with Laurel, and she'd still have a marriage afterwards. <laughs> um, but it is the, the guy that plays the lead role, and that is so convincing in his emotion, and he's a heartbroken motherfucker, you know? <laughs> And, yeah, but he's also a, a revenge-driven motherfucker, and he's really, really good at it. <laughs> well, you know, those revenge movies, when they're done right, and especially when yeah. you see him at the right time in your life, you're just like, "Fuck yeah!" Yeah, and this guy is—I won't go into any more detail than to say, because we all know what it's like to be a parent here. This guy is a grieving father, and he has a bone to pick with the reason sure. why he's a grieving father. Oh, yeah. Everyone's dead. Yeah. Slowly. I mean, he shows that's what made it such a harsh film for me emotionally is that he showed me the kind of pain that I know I would be feeling in that same situation. You know, (laughs) it's like so it was both awesome to watch and really hard to watch at the same time. But that brings me to a question, actually, that I've been kind of pondering, which is, is there anything and i think this is in, interesting in particular with horror is there anything that you wouldn't write about for that reason that you would have to turn away from writing about huh um wow you know there's yeah i don't know there yeah there are some things there i and i don't know that i can even t- talk about them on the air i'd talk about them off the air with you guys cuz you're my friends but I have some personal things that have occurred in my life that I wouldn't be comfortable writing about. Not yet, anyway. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Rich, yeah. what about you? I Yeah, I, c- I can kind of see that. Because, yeah, there's certain things that, you know, would be kind of uncomfortable. And I think, too, like, it kind of depends on kind of, like, what you're writing about, almost. Like, I guess, like, if you're... Like, there's certain things that I wouldn't write about, and, like, I wouldn't read about. Like, I won't Mm -hmm. say the book because it's an author that I do enjoy, but, like, 
he came he had written like a certain book and like i was willing to give it a try even though it was you know it was listed as extreme to be fair <laughs> but i started reading it and then i was like nah I, you know i hit like a certain point and i'm like i j- i can't do this like yeah, this I have is one of those <laughs> this is uh, too much for me which you know i've seen all kinds of movies and all kinds yeah. of right, all kinds of books but i was like no this this isn't for me i i can't I can't deal with this. Well, here's a thing about that, too, though, is that there are things, I mean, that... All right, okay, so... Uh, J.F. Gonzalez wrote a book called Survivor. We all have yeah. heard about it, or in, and at least two of us have read it. And it's all full. I mean, if you say, is, are there any triggers? Uh, the book is a fucking trigger, you know? Yeah. But there is... It's full of exploitation, but every single piece of it is for story. It's not to shock you. It's not to knock you on your ass and go, ooh, gross, that's disgusting, give me more. It's a, you know, oh my god, I can't believe this person is going through this shit kind of thing, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you on that, because I had read that one, and you know, I never really thought of it like that, but like I didn't really have any problem with uh, Survivor, probably for the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. And the other book that I was referencing that, like I said, I don't want to say because like I've read other stuff by this author and I've enjoyed it. Um, but this one just that particular one wasn't for me. Yeah. Um, like it kind of has like the same kind of like thing like the one like there's similar things in survivor that didn't bother me but there was things that bothered me about that other book yeah so yeah i I can totally see that like yeah i can yeah there's some stuff that's just like a little too uh yeah a little too far for me (laughs) you know an interesting thing about that though laurel to expand on my answer to you guys um is that there are things that I wouldn't write about in fiction, but a lot of a lot of pain and suffering and emotion can be abstracted in poetry. So I can't honestly say I, there's anything I wouldn't write about there. Um, you just might not know I was writing about it when I wrote about it. Well, that makes sense because it's almost like like holding up multiple mirrors to see it in diluted reflections or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it also doesn't make you feel like you're making yourself so vulnerable because you know that you're really the only person who's going to look at this and go, oh, this happened to this poor fucker, you know, and yeah. that's not something I like for people to do, you know. So. Yeah. That, I mean, that is hard. That That is really hard to, to make yourself vulnerable to put something, you know, that personal into something yeah. that, that other people are going to read. Yeah. yeah, to be honest, like I put out a poem the other day that you know about. I expected to get eviscerated for that thing. I was terrified, you know, because it dealt with a, a social subject that is a pretty hotbed subject with both genders, you know, or at least the good side of, um, you know, at least, you know, females and then the rather bad side of the other gender, you know. Um, and I expected people like that to come out. So, well, I'm I'm glad they didn't though. Yeah, I mean, I'm I w- glad that's 
Yeah. I'm disappointed. Fucking come at me <laughs> in that situation, you know. <laughs> you you were all ready to fight, weren't you? <laughs> I was. <laughs> it's like I'm geared, man. I I get another opportunity next week. So, and that's uh, something. Speaking, so we do not forget because we did not do it before, and it would be too damn late by the time it aired anyway. Um, we have something special coming to our website on Wednesday. Uh, tomorrow, actually, by the time you listen to this, very 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 special and very near and dear to us uh and i will let laurel tell you that because it's her gift to you uh yeah it's a it's it's a short story um i don't know how much you want me to (laughs) to go into it but just that it's uh it's called um though your heart is breaking and it's one that I wrote um, kind of in in response to a thread, actually, that was that was started by Gemma Amore um, and that a lot of women in the horror community kind of contributed to. So I'll probably be a little bit more specific about that when we post the story. But it's one that I'm really excited to share. And I'm really excited that uh, that Inkeist is willing to host it on their site. And we are, too. Um, we're too ha- excited that you um, gave it to us. We tried to talk you out of it, and we're glad you're <laughs> fucking stubborn. You know. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, it's important. I said a lot of this stuff in that piece I wrote. You can go to Inkheis and see what I think about this story because I, I wrote what was basically a mini gushing review about it. Um, but uh, yeah, this thing is uh, important. It it came from uh, someplace deep inside of the author, and you can tell that it did. You can tell it's important to her. I haven't talked to another reader who's seen it that doesn't think it's important to them. Um, and it'll be important to a lot of people. And the same thing, you know, a bunch of people will love it and there will probably be some who hate it. And, uh, yeah, come at us. So, <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, and kind of going <laughs> off that, like you said, I, I had the same reaction to it. I loved it as soon as I read it. But, um, like, you always talk about, like, the great, thing about horror stories in general is like that they kind of you know shine a light on certain aspects of things that are going on in society yeah. and that kind of that make you feel something like like yeah. whether people agree with it or you know even some of those people that like we said we hope we get their reactions so we can tell mm-hmm. them they're stupid <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but you always want that kind of reaction and that's like the mark mm. i think of a great story is something yeah. that kind of opens up yeah. that kind of discussion and I really and, think that this story does and something that comes from under your skin too I mean it's it's a story yeah. guaranteed it's a story that only a woman could write and convince me I have no doubt about that in my mind um, and some other you know marginalized people probably too but especially women um, with what you know is covered there and that's important, too, is that there are some stories that can only be t- told by the people who've lived those stories, you know. Unless you've walked in the shoes, you just really got to kind of shut the fuck up and listen to the people who know what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, I think exactly. that's, that's something that is just so important right now is, you know, in particular with like the own voices movement. Um, yeah. Which is something that, you know, I feel just really strongly about. And uh, it's just made more evident all the time. Every time you read, you know, stories from people with different backgrounds and cultures and affiliations and, um, 
you know, just all, all of these sort of things just make up who we are. And no one else can write that story. And no one else should be trying to take it, you know, and write it. Because you're just, they're, they're just going to get it wrong. It's, it's not going to be the right thing. And none of that is meant as censorship. None of that is meant to say that anybody can't write whatever character they want to. No, um, no. But, you know, just to kind of address some of the things that people and, and I get why people sometimes maybe have a knee jerk reaction to that feeling as though they are personally being criticized or, um, you know, that that uh, that they're being censored or muzzled in some way. But it's like, you know, the, the way that I look at it um, is if you think about the most personal story to you and, and I don't care if you're not a writer, if you've never been a writer or you still have a story. Everyone yep. has a story, at least That's one. That's right. And you have something yeah. that you feel personally about that is yep. your story and only you can tell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have someone who's not even equipped, has none of the same background, knows, can't possibly know anything about it, who comes and says, I will tell the story t- for you. Yeah. You're going to yeah. want to punch them somewhere painful. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, and that's like I said, did I say it to you? So I said to someone maybe just on Twitter last night is that um, some a lot of things I could co-write with somebody. But when it comes to like writing poetry, I couldn't do that because it would feel too much like people were touching things very personal to me that they had no business even, you know, thinking about really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's kind of the same thing. It's uh, you know, this is th- this this particular experience is my experience, and only I get to tell what that was like, whether I do it well or poorly, you know. But yeah. you have to admit your boundaries too. I mean, because like you said, anybody can write any character they want. I'm writing a woman, you know. Um, I'm terrified of that. I won't lie about it because I also know that I'm not a woman. I'm a dude who's lived with a lot of women and have really good women friends I can ask questions, but I'm not the guy who actually is the authority on the story. I'm the guy who can write the story I'm writing, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. And, and I mean, it's, you know, it's one of those things like you can write characters of people that you know. You know, I mean, you've met women, you're familiar with women, you you listen to women and you know enough about them to create a woman. This this is a woman that you have created. You know, this character is your creation. Um, yeah. If you were a dude who just lived in a monastery your whole life and tried to woman and write a woman character, I I mean, OK, you know, but it's probably, it's probably not going to come off great. But but more likely what we see a lot more of is is uh, and I, I don't even personally see this a whole lot, but. When you see a female character that's written by a man who clearly has no respect for women, um, you know, and and there's a lot that's being said about the the focus of the male gaze. You know, you've got a female character who's just checking out all her friends boobs and that's the first thing she thinks about. It's like, eh, yeah, you know, I don't I don't think you're you're really thinking about a woman as you're writing this. Yeah, you're thinking about dudes when you think shit like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and even then, not not even all dudes, just, you know, the majority of kind of douchey dudes who don't think with anything else but that part. But yeah, or who don't, I mean, who don't think don't of women as, uh, yeah. you know, as, as, as a separate autonomous person. I, I, re- I mean, and I realize that you should just never look at the comments in right. any, anything no, ever. No, no, because men, I said that too, to you the other day is that men think that's their fucking birthright. 
<laughs> you know, I mean, it's, but it's not. I mean, that's the big thing is, though, it's like I really don't even think it's the majority of men. I no, think no. it's I think it's the the chosen few douche canoes, you know, mm-hmm. who I just agree. end up being the vocal ones. I just remember like seeing, uh, you know, and some message board, it was like something about feminism or something. And this this guy says, well, listen, I'm a feminist. I mean, I think women should be allowed to have jobs and all. And I was like, my God. You think that's what it is? <laughs> yeah, like I just swallowed my own tongue and choked to death because yeah. that's what you fucking think yeah. that you that you get to allow. So, you know, I just like there was so much wrong with it that I had yeah. to just go write a ditty to sing to myself to not be annoyed. Because um, what the fuck? Yeah, I appreciate your I like admire rather your approach because my approach is to wait yeah. right in and get red. mine has been in the past before but also i am not a person who likes feeling angry you know i it's an unpleasant feeling and it's not escapable i'm a human but i've tried as i've gotten older to seek out ways to minimize that to try not to waste time on it and um and i but i do think that writing is something that just really helps you kind of channel that stuff um, and, work, and work shit out too yeah yeah absolutely um at least for me it does it helps it's kind of sometimes especially now writing is kind of my counselor you know yes except yeah. for it's my counselor can be a major fucking downer sometimes too and i'm <laughs> thinking about changing to a new one <laughs> <laughs> Well, Rich, uh, what's your, I mean, any thoughts on this? I know you've, you've actually been kind of ramping up your writing lately. Yeah. Oh, as far as like writing stuff. Yeah. I actually had a pretty good day today. Um, like I always feel like, like, I think I was telling Shane this, like, I hate like mentioning word counts cause I feel like it's almost like a jinx where I'll like lock myself up and then not do it anymore. <laughs> But yeah, break your superstitions, man. Yeah, you know? yeah. So like, I don't want to say, but uh, like the vanishing story that like I've been talking to you guys about, I I worked on that a little bit today, and got a decent decent amount in there. And I'm not sure how long it's gonna end up being, but uh, I think it's I think it's gonna end up being a a longer piece, more than a short story. Yeah. And we're going to go into we're also Rich and I are going to um, get back to work on the witch. Yeah, story. I was oh, just about awesome. to, Sweet. Yeah, I, was, I was just about to say that. Yeah, I mentioned it last night. Um, you know, now that I'm back on my fucking meds and I'm not a dick anymore, I, I told him I want my story back. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which you know what? It's kind of funny because I was I was thinking about like. Because we've been kind of like teasing it, and we we kind of did this with Patrick. I don't want to spoil his show, but uh, like I'm really excited about it because yeah. it, you know, and it it was one of those like ideas that was kind of like yeah. basically batshit insane, mm-hmm. and like something that you and I kind of like thought of at like yeah. two in the morning, like or one to do. Kind of like, kind of like I was sitting here stoned and drunk off my ass. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, hey, man, what would you think of this kind of a monster? And, and yeah. guess what he would have to eat to turn into that fucking thing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 
<laughs> I was pretty excited about it, especially because like uh, like the little the like you had written some of it already, and yeah. that I, I love that part, especially like the name. I don't I don't want to spoil like anything about it for anybody since you know we haven't really started it, but. I, was I, like, I would spill her name though because she, it's a name I stole from one of my one of my really really dear friends on as far as dear friends you've never met go on Twitter. So um, well, I'll I let you that, spoil it because I, I stole I don't that know name from uh, <laughs> Bell Wilson, who goes by Bell, but yeah, her full name Mahitabel, M E I H. M-E-H-I-T-O-B-E-L. And it just seemed like, you know, that's a fucking witch's name right there, man. <laughs> you got to have that name. <laughs> so I didn't ask Belle because that way she can't say no. And, you know, I'm sure other people have been named that before. So it's mine. Ours. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, we're taking a different approach to it, too, because uh, I discovered pro- an approach that I know Rich can work with, I think, um, based on what I've heard you guys talking about and uh, one that I know is working for me on something else right now. So, And uh, that approach is courtesy of one of the most awesome friends either one of us has ever had. So... So, and I'm fucking talking about you, Laurel. So say uh, something. I, I didn't want to say anything. I thought it was implied, and I was I thought she would just jump right in there. I but. figured it was Mahadabel again. I wasn't gonna just <laughs> jump in and take someone else's credit. <laughs> I was like, man, she sounds like a cool chick. She's got an awesome name. She's got this great process. I want to meet her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like she really rocks. Wait, <laughs> me? <laughs> yeah, you sh- I I thought see, I'll I'll say I thought Laurel was going to I thought she was going to jump in and take the credit because of the process thing cuz both yeah. myself and you have been like, "Oh, we're panthers. We just fucking jump into this shit." And then <laughs> like and then I'll kind of spoil it a little bit. Uh, the thing that I'm doing with Laurel, we have kind of like a call and response outline thing. And that's kind of like what we're referencing, both Shane and myself. Shane's writing a story. I don't want to give away anything about it unless he wants to share it. But I'm pretty excited to read that. Um, we, we all were like, you know what? This this uh, this kind of like outlining process isn't so bad. <laughs> And then we're like, so we shouldn't bad. tell Laurel that. <laughs> it helps, for it, but the thing is, is that it's really, really similar to the process that isn't a process that I've been following, which is just to sit there and write notes and write notes, and every time something comes to me, write another note and then go back and look, and if it doesn't fit with the flow of what I'm thinking anymore, I scratch it, and if it's something I want to keep keep on going with and expand on i start writing more notes on that thing but it's chaos and then yeah. laurel showed me her much more and much more organized form of chaos and it's like okay i could probably embrace that much organization yeah. without losing my fucking yeah mind. i was the same i was the same way like when i when i saw kind of how she does it because when i think like outlining a story 
Like, I think about, like, how my social studies teacher taught me how to write an outline in eighth grade with, like, okay, you do a Roman numeral one, oh, right, write the thing, and then an A, and then a B, and I'm like, well, no, fuck that, because... Yeah, you're basically writing this, basically writing this gigantic fucking convoluted yeah. mind map. It's like, dude, I, I fucking graduated like a long ass time ago. I, I don't need to be doing that. But then when I saw how she did, I'm like, you know what? That, you know, not only is it helpful, but like it kind of helps you like even kind of develop yeah. your story. In a way. It, it does. Like, well, not, for me, it, in a big way, it helps you with yeah. that. You know, and pr- people will probably get tired of us kicking this horse but um, <laughs> hey everybody likes to kick a horse every now and then so yeah. um and it's a good one to kick if you're gonna kick one uh but i we won't go into long detail about what she does but it works for me um or it seems to work i can't say works for me i haven't published a goddamn thing yet but <laughs> yeah. feels good <laughs> yeah. me either <laughs> i'm glad that i have managed to roll back the uh negative associations with outlines that are created by unsuspecting English teachers everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. One of these days, though, I want you to show me if the, you're doing the same thing or something much more complex, like with whispers and things like that. I want to see. Oh God. Whis- okay. Well, and see, this is, this is why I developed this process is because I used to just put it all on the page and follow my ideas and let the characters drive. And it went so many fucked up places. And <laughs> <laughs> these, these are questions that people who beta read for me used to ask me. And I'd be like, I don't know. But it's a lot easier if you can just ask yourself these questions. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah. you should probably know who the bad guy is in your own book. I'm just saying. That's a starting point. God, fuck, I hadn't thought about that part yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still you know, thinking it's... about who the fucking good guy is. <laughs> I haven't even decided how many goddamn dogs there are in this story yet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can at least give Laurel her new nickname. She's the patron saint of outlining. Oh, I like that. RBF. RBF RIP. That nickname's been retired. No, but no. I'm keeping I'm keeping VM I'm keeping VMC RBF VMC and I'm just gonna add that to it patron saint of uh... it's uh, patron patron saint of outlines is that what it is so yes yeah. I will oh, I'll accept SOS that. yeah R- I like it I'm getting business cards done I'm getting business cards done it's you know it's fortunate that S is in there between that O and that other S though. <laughs> <laughs> PSOS would not be a title you wanted. You know what? I would embrace it. I'm okay with it. I've been embracing it all my life, I know. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you guys, if this episode sucks, we apologize, but I think the three of us are having a grand conversation that needed to happen for a while, so hey, cool. Yeah, I I thought it was pretty cool. We are ap- we are 100% happy that you guys listen to us enjoy this. Yes, absolutely. We we for <laughs> sure. <laughs> we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, so for, you know, 
the half of you that's left <laughs> because you've already started consuming your own flesh rather than listening. <laughs> yeah. it, it, you know, that's what, kind of what's funny about some of these solo episodes is like, we'll have these really deep, like resonating moments and then just moments of like utter shit, <laughs> like insanity. <laughs> Like people are like, why do I even listen? And then we'll hit them with like a nugget where they're like, wow, that's great. And that's why they stay yeah. around. Yeah. So we should, uh, we should ask them that question, actually. Yeah. What's that? What well, question? How would you phrase it? Well, now it sounds bad. Why do you stick around? Why do you guys even listen? <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite where I was going with it, but now that's how it sounds. So. Anyways, we're glad that you do. I don't mean that it's yeah. confrontational. No, hey, what, what the fuck are you people all doing here still? <laughs> you guys, I think someone's listening to us. Like, it's God, creepy. get a fucking life. <laughs> no, please don't. Please no, don't. don't. Yeah, please we don't just... like people with lives because then we have no one to call. <laughs> yeah. um, I talk to that, John. You know, we don't, if we don't find someone with... with out alive, we end up talking to Todd Kiesling and Half Chub for the rest of our eternity. So that's actually I'm fine with that. I still want to have a show with both of them. Yeah, yeah. wouldn't that be fun? I think them and Taff bring them all in and just get <laughs> fucking hammered. We might Todd, not even have to talk. Which is you know, Todd doesn't drink, sure. but he sits there and gets so fucking vicariously fucked up. It's just <laughs> humorous as fuck to me. Like. <laughs> Like, I'll say, like, I responded to him, that whole, uh, you know, Kentucky Dick Spiders thing. When I woke up the next morning and realized we encouraged people to, like, send us their logos, I was like, what have we done? (laughs) I think all we got is Mike Clark. Yeah, thank God. Thank you, Mike. But that's awesome. Mike, like, I was going to say rest of the challenge and then. And then I went ahead and took it. Yeah, my, Mike Clark took the Kentucky Dick Spider and turned it into a wit from a widow into a widower. We can just say that. Oh, that was well. That was well said. Good turn of phrase there. <laughs> he gave it a dick. <laughs> See, I always feel like when you when when like I read your poetry, it's like you'll say something in this like beautiful way, and I that's how I would say like he gave it a dick. <laughs> yeah, in real life, I say both things more often. The dick part. <laughs> I just still, I just remember my brother asking me like in all seriousness, not trying to be an asshole. He's like, do you, do you know what symbolism is? <laughs> <laughs> Now you should you should show your uh, brother like all the books you've done and be like, yeah, I think well, I do. Well, I know what symbolism <laughs> is. It's this thing I do with my middle fingers on. <laughs> How are those for fucking symbols, buddy? <laughs> he had really good reason to ask yeah. that. He asked me to write a song. It was utterly just like, uh, yeah, it was bad. One hundred percent without metaphor. None at all. None at all. See, I'm I'm glad you said that, Laurel, because, yeah, I I tried my hand at that, too. Like, oh, yeah, let me write the song lyrics. And you know what ended up happening to those? I stuck them in the kitchen sink and set them on fire because they were just straight. Wow. You know what, though? (laughs) 
Uh, David Byrne is surprisingly good at writing music without metaphor. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, you know, more power to him. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I have. I can't I have, write, I have I can't an write songs. Period. <laughs> I have an. I have an editor just to keep me from using fucking adverbs. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> it was more horror. Like I had Laura look at this poem, and she was she was kind, but she made several different suggestions, very very good ones. And then I come down to this one where the comment is, "I really hate adverbs." What fucking adverb? Ah, <laughs> I hate adverbs too. And it took me three days to edit that thing because I was so pissed about the adverb. <laughs> so yeah, uh, good times. But uh, do you guys uh, have anything more to add? I'm looking at our clock and realizing that uh, oh God, it's was going to turn back into a pump here pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, right. I can't like I'm weirdly tempted to like record the intro to that to what I I really want to do the segment of Shane's unfuck that. Oh right. Um, yeah, we need the intro to it. Do we have an intro? Uh, it's a Christmas song. Oh. How come I don't know about the Christmas song intro? Me, you do. Wait, I'm so confused. I do. It's the yeah. That. It's the yeah. Theme song. I'll have to find those words back now. Because <laughs> now I remember. I, I made myself laugh. <laughs> I think it was just. Uh, no, I'm not going to sing. You oh, sing. Come on, come oh man, we we almost had to her. the tune of what? To the tune I'll, of what? I'll I'll do it, but you but then just cut it out later, or don't make fun of me. Okay, here you oh. go. Here's your intro. Okay. Though it's been said many times, many ways, go on, fuck that, love Shane. <laughs> There's no, no way I'm cutting that, and you have yeah. a great voice. So that's there. what I was oh, going to say. Cut that. You have to cut that. That's terrible. Oh, man. No, that, that <laughs> was so perfect. Like, <laughs> like, we were laughing, but it wasn't because of your singing. It was just like the song content. <laughs> You know what? We need to we need to collaborate and finish that song, and I'll do a fucking duet with you. Oh, okay, I'm in. Yeah, okay. I've been trying to get you to sing on air for like a year. So yeah, that we'll take that offline though. You people don't have to suffer through that <laughs> until 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 we're done. Yep. If we do a do if we do a duet, you're gonna hear it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, we apologize in advance. <laughs> It'll probably be our intro song now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I do. I derailed our our sign off. <laughs> that uh, is a pretty good note to end on, and uh, get back to what fucked up lives we all have. Um, For sure. Actually, though, we have pretty good lives. We've got each other. So. This is true. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, everybody in this community has largely been here for each other through all the bullshit we've been through and come out to be even more for each other in many ways than they really ever have before in this community. So, you know, 
good things come from bad things, just like good friends come from strange fucking places, you know? <laughs> Very true. Well, yeah. uh, I love you guys, and I will let you go. And thank you to anyone who stuck around this long. <laughs> yep. Thanks, love you, guys. too. You guys have a good night. <laughs> Peace. You, too. See ya. Bye. <laughs> Is somebody going to hang the fucking thing? <laughs> <laughs>